Today's Tuesday, April 28th, 2020, and this week on the Birdland BS Podcast, the Ravens get high reviews on their draft class, so we break down each of those picks. It doesn't stop there as they bring in 20 undrafted free agents. Which ones can crack the roster? A few familiar Terps find some new NFL homes, and Carmen Electra still looks fire at 48. Stay tuned. So let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred Scott and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. On excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're going to listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. BS, BS. What's up, BSers? Brett and Scott, it's episode 144 of the Birdland BS podcast. It's a first post-draft podcast since everything went down, since our second annual big play draft party. Had a lot of fun hanging out with all the big play guys. Big shout out to Dave and and crew over there at Big Play. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was different being, you know, that we were Zoom this year and neither of us was, you know, really near each other. Like, you came over, but you were six feet away and stayed six yeah. feet away. <laughs> Made sure we still practice social distancing. That's for sure. You, uh, but it was nice. I mean, apparently everybody liked it. We had over 7,000 people in total that streamed and watched it. So we appreciate each and every one of you guys that tuned in. It was a lot of fun. I uh, hope to do that again next year. It went flawlessly. No tech issues. Yeah. Right, Scott? It, it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. No, no tech issues. No tech issues. Yeah. My sure my drivers aneurysm. My drivers didn't uh, didn't stop us from streaming, and we had to wait until my drivers uploaded. That didn't happen. No, no, I'm having, a, I'm having a. You're you're giving me Smooth an aneurysm sailing. and a stroke while I'm thinking about it, Fred. Stop. <laughs> Smooth sail. Speaking of strokes, did you see Steve Smith's blunder? <laughs> yes, oh I did. Oh my god, that was oh yeah. Dan Marine, Dan Marine, Dan Marine. Can't, can't even talk. Yeah. Oh, it was great. <laughs> it was perfect. It was hilarious. If you don't if you don't follow me on Twitter, I retweeted it. Uh, on Twitter, go look it up. It is hilarious. He I love Steve it. Smith, but man, it lo- literally looked like he had a stroke on live TV. It was great. <laughs> that, that's all, folks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We got a lot to talk about on the show. Uh, listen, Ravens are getting really, really high, really good reviews on this draft. I think you and I uh, both are giving these draft grades pretty high. So we're going to talk about each and every one of these picks and how they might fit into this system, how they're going to fit in uh overall and what kind of roles they might have in year one yeah i mean you got to look at it mel kuyper gave this as his only a grade i mean what does that tell you about this draft right now right if that doesn't yeah, tell mel, you all you mel need to kuyper's know. a bit of a homer being that he's from this area but he tends to you know always talk about the ravens it's kind of mel kuyper's thing but it, it is i do think rightfully so the ravens had a great draft as far as value but mel is best player available mel also hasn't shied away from giving them bad grades before either uh, no that's true that is true but the work doesn't stop there man literally right after the draft eric DaCosta and Cruz on the phone calling up all those undrafted free agents you know the diamonds in the rough that always make an impact Always seem to find one or two guys that make the roster. We're going to take a look at a couple of guys that we want to keep an eye on to see if uh, there might be a guy or two that might make the roster this year. I think you're, I think you're, you're going to have quite a few that uh, have a shot at it. 
So we'll, yeah. we'll kind of get into that. Then a few familiar Terp names. Got some new NFL digs, some new homes, a couple of guys that are going somewhere. Maybe us Raven fans aren't the biggest fan of. So, but hey, we're going to rock on to show our Terp pride. Yeah, so, some surprising surprising where they are, but also not surprising. Excited to kind of talk <laughs> right. about that. And like I said pre-show, man, if you're not following this Jordan and Bulls documentary – what the, the heck for is the wrong sake with of you? Just being an NBA and sports fan, go check it out for Carmen Electra. At least the last two episodes, <laughs> Carmen Electra is still fire at forty-eight years old, still hot. Yeah, I was sitting there watching with my wife, and my wife goes, "She still looks damn good." I'm like, she "Does she does?" All right, she I can say it now like, too. <laughs> she might have like three inches of makeup on, but that's okay. She still looks good. I think she had like two and a half, maybe ten years ago. So she's up the ante a little bit, but she still looks great. She had three inches of makeup and three inches of clothing. It all goes together. <laughs> I like where your head's at with that. Hey, what am, what am I going to well, say? Before, right. Before we get too much into the Ravens draft, though, I do want to remind you guys, if you've ever been injured at work or in an auto accident and weren't sure who to call, 855-MD-CRASH or our Maryland personal injury attorneys that will have our back. If you find yourself in an unfortunate situation, and I know I have, give our team at MD-CRASH a call right away. We all know the cost of medical bills, lost wages, and pain and suffering can all add up quickly and potentially put you in a bad financial place. If you want a team that will handle your case, big or small, and just give you some peace of mind, save this number now, 855-MD-CRASH. That's 855-632-7274. Be sure to follow them on Facebook for some fun giveaways, including gift cards to potential restaurants in the area. Ooh. All right, Scott. So we got to get into our draft recap. Like I said, hadn't had a chance to really on air talk this through uh you know we did you know the draft recap on obviously draft night as far as the first round goes right we got our first pick uh but we haven't had a chance you and i to kind of hash through each one of these picks but before we dive into those i do kind of want to talk a little bit about the draft as a whole yeah what it, it, what's the biggest surprise out of this draft for you uh, Not just for the Ravens, just out of this draft as as a whole. What was the biggest surprise? I have to say that there were two. Okay. The first one came late, which was the Patriots trading up to get a kicker. <laughs> Touche, right? The second was the Steelers not drafting the right quarterback when they had the chance. Yeah. You know, that yeah. that just we were sitting there that took me by such surprise in the second round because you we mean were, a running back or quarterback quarterback quarterback. OK, interesting. I know a lot of fans were clamoring for the Steelers to take a running back. They were looking at, you know, J.K. Dobbins, the guy that we got in the second round, which we're going to talk about him in a minute. I know a lot of fans were disappointed with that. I think the biggest surprise for me, like I said earlier, man, New England doesn't take a quarterback. So they either have all the faith in the world in Stidham or they're tanking for Trevor for next year, potentially. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens there. I don't know a whole lot about Stidham. I don't know, you know, how he fits. But listen, they had all the faith in the world in the seventh round quarterback in Tom Brady. We all know how that panned out for them. Right. So they know what they're doing over there. So maybe they've got something in, in Stidham that we don't know about. Yeah. The other big surprise that I forgot to mention, uh, which is one that I actually called on air when we were on with SCG and those guys, the Eagles taking Jalen Hurts. Yeah, right? I think that was a pretty big surprise. You know, they just invested all the money, obviously, into Carson Wentz. And, you know, the, 
a lot of the rumors are out there already about how Jalen's going to be incorporated in the offense. Are, is he going to be yeah. used mainly as like a gadget guy, like a Taysom Hill type guy, uh, or is he going to be used majority as like a running back? You know, all the the questions that all the pundits had about Lamar Jackson when he was going into the draft is, oh, he's, he's better than, you know, better as a running back or he's better as a wide receiver. All those same things uh, are going for Jalen Hurts. I have all the faith in the world. I think Jalen Hurts is going to have a good NFL career. I think he's a good, complete quarterback, uh, especially in this new day and age and this new style that we're seeing from quarterbacks. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're, you're spot on with that. The thing that I think you got to, you got to think about as well with Jalen going to the Eagles, I think it shows you that they, while they spent the money on Wentz, they're, they they needed somewhat of an insurance policy because yeah. look, you got to look at his history. I've talked about this at, at nauseum. I think, and I honestly think that they recognize the mistake. There's nothing they can do about it now. I think they know that they made the mistake by signing Wentz to the long-term deal and not offering Foles because yeah. while Wentz kind of got them there, Foles got them through it. Right, so it was, right. it was a it was a completely different ball game when Foles was in there, and they they I think they're feeling that now, and that's why they go get a guy like Jalen Hurts that that has different abilities and some question marks. But to your point, there's a lot of upside for him. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. And I think for me, the other surprise we mentioned Jordan Love to the Packers in the first round. I know Aaron Rodgers was probably pissed off at the world with that, not going <laughs> after a weapon for him when he still got at least another three three years of production, yeah. really good production in my opinion. Uh, so I'm sure that didn't sit well. And then I think the biggest, the other big surprise for me, and it's more so the stupidity behind it, and this is just kind of the way the Raiders have always operated, but for them to draft three wide receivers, I'm not saying these three wide receivers aren't going to be productive. The three wide receivers that they got are very good wide receivers, but man, they've got needs all across the board, uh, and they put a lot of investment, a lot of draft capital in wide receiver, for sure. They did, but if I'm going to make that call, I think, you know, you and I had talked about it before, about this is this is Derek Carr's last chance, Yeah. right? This We see this as his last chance. So if you go, look, we went and got you three of the, three of the top weapons with our first three draft picks. If you can't do something with these kids, you're gone. So if right. they're, if they're, if they're not at least 500 midway through the season, Derek Carr's out, guaranteed. And he's done. He's yep. like they're they're done with him at that point. Um, Could very and, well be. Unless the unless he's hitting these guys in the chest and they're just dropping balls, which is possible. We've seen that with high round draft wide receivers. If that's happening, then he gets a little wee way. But if he's if he's not hitting their tar- hitting their his targets and stuff, yeah, it's all on him. Q Hut, I see you in the chat room cheering for uh, Bronson Rexiner. I Listen, that's a guy we're going to talk about. So we're, we're going to go down first. We're going to go down each draft pick, kind of talk a little bit about how they're going to fit into this team, what their their pros and cons are, what are some things, uh, cause and effect type things. Uh, and then next segment, we're going to get into the undrafted free agents. The Ravens brought in 20 or 20 or more, I think, at this point. Uh, we're going to highlight a few of those guys. And obviously, Bronson's definitely one of the guys, one of the top guys on the list of freaking nature that we're going to talk a lot about uh, and just kind of give you some background information on him as to why he could potentially be uh, a long shot to make the roster. Yeah, he. I, that's an exciting one. But let's <laughs> let's dive into these guys that we got, right? So yeah. first guy, right off the bat, first round, 28th pick. We get 
Patrick Queen, a guy that I knew you were high on before the draft even started. You thought he may he you know he may be able to fall to us. There was potential that we may in order for us to get him that we may have had to have trade up depending on what people's needs were, where trades worked out, things like that. But look, this guy's six one two twenty nine, and he is one of five Raven linebackers picked in the first round. Let me see if you remember some of these names, Fred. Ray Lewis, <laughs> Peter Bowler, Terrell Suggs, Mosley, like yeah. They don't miss when they draft a linebacker in the first round. <laughs> no, They've done happen. pretty damn good with drafting linebacker in the first round. Listen, Patrick Queen was a guy that um, I had a, I had my eyes on, but I thought we might have to move up to get him. Prior right. to the draft, I thought if we were gonna if we were gonna get Patrick Queen over Kenneth Murray, I was surprised Kenneth Murray went before Patrick Queen. Uh, I thought we might have to jump up into the early twenties to be able to get a Patrick Queen. Uh, so it was really surprising. Not only did Kenneth Murray go ahead of him, but you had Jordan Brooks from Texas Tech go one pick ahead of him right to Seattle who <clears throat> Seattle's already set at linebacker you know they I, it was it was a weird reach for them and the guy that we you know Blake from uh, big play big Seattle fan he was scratching his head pissed off at the pick at the time not that Jordan Brooks is a bad player when you got Patrick Queen on the board it just makes sense for for if Patrick you're Queen pick, to have been the pick if you're going to pick best available pick best available right like if exactly. that's what you're going to do so what did but you think overall Queen what do you like? Yeah, you there, like? there's so much to like about this kid. He's got that passion on the field that I like. He's got leadership traits that I like. He's fast, and and I mean fast both physically and mentally. Uh, he processes very quickly. He's got a real high football IQ. He hasn't played a whole lot. He was actually a backup at LSU, uh, and due to some injuries, he finally got a shot kind of like a quarter of the way through last year and just flourished. He's young. He's only 20 years old, so he's still kind of growing, but he's got great instincts, very explosive with sideline to sideline speed. So he's got that that Ray Lewis effect in that sense. Right. <laughs> Jokingly, you know, Lamar Jackson made the comment Ray Lewis Jr. on an Instagram <laughs> live feed. How true that is. Maybe pump the brakes. We'll see. We'll let the kind of chips fall where they may. <laughs> but he does have that sideline to sideline speed. Very, very good in coverage. And we know for years now, even with C.J. Mosley, as much as we love C.J. Mosley and as good as players was, we know his shortcomings in coverage. So this is this is a blessing. This is something we haven't right. had in a long time from a true inside linebacker, a three-down inside linebacker. Um, he's going to be probably our Mike linebacker, I think, day one. Seems um, a little small. Needs to work small. on. Good. I was just say he seems he seems a little bit small frame at six one two twenty nine. Am I am I wrong yeah, in thinking that he's gonna need? Like I said, at twenty years old, he's still growing. He needs to grow into his body a little bit more. He'll probably get up into the the high two thirties at some point. Uh, okay. It won't take him long, especially in an NFL gym and you know on their workout regimen to get him up to the weight. So I'm not worried about his size at all. A lot of people question Ray Lewis's size coming out of college too, and look how that worked yeah, out. Right, that's true. Um, that's true. Only thing I'll say in the negative that I've watched in the in the film that I've seen on him. He needs to work on his tackling technique a little bit. He tackles up high, tends to tackle up high. So he hasn't had a problem bringing guys down. I just think when you get to the NFL, these bigger guys, these stronger guys, you're going to need to have more form tackling. Uh, so it's just something slight that he needs to work on. Uh, so, I mean, there, there's, like I said, there's really not a whole lot to harp on this kid other than the lack of experience is one. Uh, and then two, his tackling technique. But other than that, man, this guy is going to be, 
a freak out there on the field. For so sure. obviously we, you know, we've talked about him before. You liked him. You thought, you know, you thought he was, you were hoping he was going to fall to us, but you know, we might have to trade up and get him. You, you wanted to get him. Right. So at this point on the board with everything that was on, that was on the board at the time. Yeah. For Eric DaCosta was, was this a, a, you picked at a need or was this, you picked at, you know, what was the best player available? And the reason I asked that is because, just last week, you know, right before we go out and we get two guys that we wind up signing mm. to help cover at linebacker. Right. Then he goes and he picks up with their, your first pick, another linebacker. So it's not like you're picking him late and adding depth. So was that what situation is this? Is, did he still feel this was a need or was this just it's the best player available? We're taking him. It was absolutely a need. We didn't have, we don't have an inside linebacker, a, th a true three down inside linebacker on this roster prior to the draft. Uh, so it was definitely a need, but it was also best player available. You know, when you, when you start looking at the prospects that we were in the realm of picking, you know, as far as we talked about it, you know, on our last show, potentially offensive line, Cesar Ruiz was a guy, he was gone. He went yeah. to new Orleans. You looked at that group of wide receivers that you might trade up and go after all those wide receivers were gone. You did have the pick of the litter as far as edge guys go, the gross matos of the world, the Epinesas of the yeah. world, but you saw they, they kind of fell down the draft board a little further. So maybe, you know, some of us had those guys rated a little higher. So this was a combination, I think of best player available and need. I think it worked okay. out perfectly for the Ravens in the first round. This is a slam dunk. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's, let's talk about the second pick because let's be honest. Yeah. yeah, everybody can go back and watch the show that we did with Big Play. Mm. Or I'm sorry, in this in this one we were actually with SCG. We were all kind of scratching our heads when the Ravens with the 55th overall pick, which was the second round, mm. go out and get running back J.K. Dobbins out of your Ohio State. Was your guy, guy five nine two ten. Last year, I mean, let's just let's just talk about him for a second. Last year, he broke the Ohio State rushing record. 2,003 yards in a season. That's impressive. There's been some really good backs come through that college. Ezekiel Elliott, Eddie George, they've had some Archie Griffin. They've had some really good running backs come yeah. through Ohio State. And he in this draft, he was one of he was rated one to three of the the top running backs in this class. Yeah. So with this, this again, this was I had I was scratching my head because I'm sitting there going. This really isn't a need. Like it's we we have depth. We've done we've done a lot. But before you get into your side, I, I gotta say I thought about it more, right? And yeah. I think I see a pattern with Eric DaCosta, right, where he's going to get things that are going to help long term. Yeah. We know Ingram's up at the end of next year, and I I, I always this is my go to saying a guy's total. To have a guy like J.K. Dobbins be under Ingram, and what's the first thing Ingram says? I'm excited to work with the guy and mentor him. Yep. That's the type of stuff that gets you going, right? But yeah. then it leads to other questions. Are we going to carry four running backs? All right. So I had, I think, the same res response that a lot of people had. I'm not going to say everybody because a lot of people were happy with the pick right away. I had the same reaction right away that I think most people did. It wasn't an immediate need. So if you're just looking at it in, in the, with blinders on, you're saying immediate need. We just led their NFL in rushing. Do we need J.K. Dobbins? No. But like you said, forward thinking and the kind of dynamic uh, traits that this kid has, 
are going to flourish in this offense. Right. This this kid is the best running back prospect the Ravens have drafted since Ray Rice. I see a lot of people already wow. in the comments field yeah. comparing him to Ray Rice, and that's right on. As far as his skill set and everything, he's very, very similar. Physical runner. He's not afraid of contact. He's got 4-4 speed on top, so he can run away from a defense if he gets out in space. He's real shifty and got quick, titch, quick twitch moves. Uh, it makes him hard to wrap up. He's got strength in his arms. How many times do we see Ray Rice, even as little as he was, use his strength to be able to stiff arm guys and get and extend plays? Right. And he has that low center of gravity where he's got that, you know, that thicker lower half that can drag guys for an extra couple yards. J.K. Dobbins has a very similar build. He's got good pass catching uh, abilities out of the backfield, and I think the real appealing thing to me in this is that. He worked out of the RPO offense in Ohio State more than any other back in college football. Right. So if you're looking for an immediate transition from college to this offense, this guy's been in this style of offense, so he already knows how this works. I think the biggest question mark about J.K. Dobbins coming out of college was his workload. He had a lot of carries at Ohio State. But again, let's take a look at this and compare this to Ray Rice because Ray Rice was the same thing. Everybody right. was questioning how much, how long is he going to be able to hold up in the NFL because of the workload that he had at college, right? That was all that, that was everybody's concern. Well, I did a comparison between the two. Ray had 910 carries in his career at Rutgers. JK had 725. So he didn't quite have the workload that Ray Rice did as far as running the ball. Right. Uh, and Ray still had a great four or five year career. Right. And that's we started talking about the running back position during the draft show. And I thought this was a good point. Like when I started stirring through things, right? Running back is one of those positions that has the shortest life span in the NFL. Life the lifeline for a player in the NFL, we we talk about this all the time, is usually like three and a half years. Running backs are somewhere in the neighborhood of like two to two point three. Right. right? On they average, don't last. Exactly. Their shelf lives are very, very long or very short. The, the one position is running back that you can transition from college and have an immediate impact into the NFL. It's usually pretty seamless to go from college to the NFL in the right system, right? You can have an immediate impact where you don't have to have, it's not as big a learning curve is what I'm trying to say. Right, exactly. So you get a guy in the second round, meaning you have him under contract for four years. You're not paying him a whole lot as a second round draft pick and you've got him under team control for four years. You're going to get the most production out of this guy for those four years, right. right? So you bring him in. If you know Mark Ingram's probably got one more year left in the, in the tank, you know you've got him for two more years under contract, but let's just face reality. Mark Ingram, as good as a running back as he is, he can't defy father time for too long, right? No. And we saw once he got injured late in the season last year how much of a drop-off it was for this offense. The, the offense kind of fumbled over itself uh, in that playoff game without a healthy Ingram. So you bring a guy in like, like a Dobbins who has the ability to be that versatile back. I said this earlier in a post, man. I truly think, and I, I put this out there as a bold prediction. I was saying this is really going to happen, but I, I think it's, this has a shot at being a bold prediction. We could see 3,000-yard rushers in this Ravens offense next year between Ingram, Dobbins, and Lamar. Possible. That's how that's how confident I am in this pick, and I think this pick 
will turn dividends for the Ravens. Yeah, like I said, the the gut instinct was there. We were all kind of scratching our heads, you know, at least on the on the the show that we did. And right. I think the more that we think about it, the more all of us we we have a chat that we do. The more all of us were kind of like, you know what? There there's a lot more upside to this, and it really it really starts to make you think. I asked you about Patrick Queen. I really think this was a best best player available pick. Oh, one hundred straight straight was, down it, to it. I don't. I don't think Eric DeCosta or anybody in that Ravens brass thought J.K. Dobbins was going to fall to 55. Like I said, most most scouts had Dobbins ranked top three running backs. Some had him first, some had him third. It all just kind of depend on your offensive system and the fit in your system. Right. We talked about uh, Hilaire, uh, Edwards Hilaire, who was the first running back to goddamn Kansas City. Those damn Chiefs <laughs> continue to get better and continue to add weapons. They just don't um, stop. <laughs> No, he's probably the best pass catching back uh, in this draft. Hilarious. Yeah, you were but high on him. Again, Dobbins, I think, is the more complete back, and I think he's going to be a great fit here. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. All right, so let's let's go to the third round, right? The yep. 71st pick. This was one that that started to get both both of us excited and really started to kind of get us to say, all right, this is this is the way we want to be able to go, right? Right. We go and we get with the 71st pick. Justin Matabuke out of Texas A&M. This kid's 6'3", 293 pounds. Uh, at the combi- combine, plays around 310-ish, right? Yep. Ran off. 293 at the combine, two, and right. plays in about 310 normal playing weight. 4'8", 340. Yeah, faster than Baker Mayfield, faster than Sam Darnold. Oh, exactly. Yeah. This kid's Crazy. quick. And yeah. to have that that type in the in, – in the ability to go sideline to sideline, you know this guy is, is ranked high up on defense on on defensive tackles in the draft. Uh, he's a former teammate of Dalen Mack, right? So they know all about him. They've watched his tape. Yep, twenty two tackles for a loss and eleven sacks over the last two seasons. Those yeah. are impressive stats. Yeah, this was huge. This is another case of the best player available uh, at that time. Justin Matabuke is going to fill a huge need on the defensive line. Um, he he has shorter arms, but he's got significant power in those arms. I, I Again, if you don't follow me on Twitter, make sure you do. I, I retweeted another video of him just manhandling offensive linemen, literally. And I'm talking SEC offensive yeah. linemen, <laughs> Georgia offensive linemen, throwing him out of the way like ragdoll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's just got significant strength in his, in his arms and his hands. He plays low uh, and uses his power to create pressure. At 6'3", you know, it, it sounds like it's tall, but when you're going up against offensive linemen that are 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", 6'3", can tend to be shorter. So he, he like it's his, to have that power in his lower half really, really helps him create pressure. Uh, he's got good first step and lateral quickness to be able to kind of move between the gaps quickly at the snap, which all that's going to do is allow him to get into the get in, create pressure against the quarterback or stop the run, which is great. Uh, he's, he's just an explosive athlete, a violent finisher, uh, wraps up really, really well. He'll probably see that the, the, the other thing I like about this guy is he can kind of line up all over the defensive line, right? He's interchangeable. One of those. What's that? He's interchangeable. Oh, absolutely. You can line him up at zero technique all the way out to potentially a five technique. Like this guy, he can line up pretty much anywhere. Uh, so he's very versatile in that sense. This was this was a home run pick 
uh, for me in the third round. Like I said, a lot of the pundits had this guy as a top three to top five defensive tackle in the draft, and to get him at 71, right. that's huge. Yeah, well, all right, so let me ask you this, right, because the, what was the biggest thing that everybody pushed on when it came to the Ravens last year? It was that playoff game. Right. Yeah. And we got destroyed by Derrick Henry in that run game. They figured it out and they we couldn't shut him down. Yep. This is the type of guy that uh, is going to allow you to start to shut down a team and a guy like Derrick Henry. Do you think that is Eric DaCosta's exact thinking here? I think that's been his thinking ever since that game ended. I mean, you, you look at all the moves that he's made as far as creating pressure uh, and bolstering that defensive line and just putting mammoth guys in there. You bring in a Derek Wolf, you bring in a Calais Campbell, you draft a couple of guys in this draft, Justin Matabuke, if he didn't have a Brandon Williams, if he didn't have a Calais Campbell ahead of him, he could potentially be a day one starter. I think he'll probably be a rotational guy when the right. season first starts to kind of get his feet wet. Uh, but he has that type of athleticism that he could stop in there, step in there day one and be a starter. Uh, yeah, I think all of these moves are specific to stopping the run uh, and creating pressure. Yeah, the, I mean these these top three guys that we just named off are are guys that I really think could you know could make a run. We're gonna get into who all we think can be a starter, but these guys are making a run, no doubt, to be starters day one. Um, For sure. So the next pick, ninety second, you know, so we were you know we had about twenty picks, and then we we pick again, and yep. this one this one I was. I was actually kind of like, all right, I like this. And then seeing uh, our buddy Coach over at Sip to Tally Productions Coach uh, Evans. on YouTube, yeah. Coach Evans, he he did a breakdown of DuVernay. So we pick up Devin DuVernay out of Texas. This kid is fast, ran a 4.3940, a 35-and-a-half-inch vertical. And an interesting piece about him at Texas, right? So his first three years, he yeah, – I'm sorry, his, fir his first two years, uh, he was – Playing a little bit more, kind of all over the place. Uh, they really couldn't weren't putting him in, in any specific spot. Last year, he settled in at the slot position. Yeah, ninety-seven point four percent of his snaps came out of the slot. A hundred and six receptions, thirteen hundred eighty-six yards, nine touchdowns, with only three drops. This kid's got some of the best hands we've seen. He really does. I mean, again, another great value pick at number 92. We talked about it. 4-3-9-40 speed. He's obviously, he's got a great athleticism. Amazing hands. Three drops in over 120 targets. Like, the, the percentage on that's ridiculous. Uh, but the other thing that, that I really like about this guy, talk about being the complete package. He's built really well. He's strong. Uh, he's hard to bring down. He plays really physical and tough, which... Sounds a lot like a couple of other Ravens we've had here in the past. One, uh, Anquan Bolden, one of my favorite Ravens of all time. Hey, a bunch of people in the chat room are saying Steve Smith Jr. Steve Smith was the other guy. You know, just he has that that toughness about him, that attitude about him that I really, really like. Mm -hmm. He's going to go up and fight for the ball, can adjust quickly. He's going to end up getting a lot of yards after the catch because uh, he, can, he can really make people miss in space. The only thing I'll say about him, if we're going to criticize, again, there's a reason he fell to 92, right? right? So there's not all, sh <laughs> everything's going to be glory. I mean, he does need to work his route run a bit. Uh, his brakes are very rounded. He takes poor angles at times. So there's that. Uh, he, as fast as he is, he kind of lacks separation uh, quickness. So he'll rely on straight line speed a lot and physicality to create separation. That's what uh, Anquan Bolden did later in his career. You know, when he got away 
from Arizona and he came here to Baltimore, he had to use his physicality. He had to use his strength, his hands, to be able to create that separation because let's face it, Joe was a throw to a spot kind of guy, right? And and the only way Anquan was going to catch the ball was by out physicaling somebody. Right. Uh, and we're going to see a lot out of this guy. But then to have that four three nine speed on top of it, if he catches it in space, he's gone. Yeah. It was, some people in the chat are chiming into kind of alluding to what I was talking about with the slot piece, saying, you know, this this really you're you really could be looking at Sneed's replacement here. You know, Sneed has been playing out of the slot a lot over the past yeah. year and a half. And it's been working. He's able to block this kid with his physicality. He's going to be able to block. And, you know, he wants a spot on this team, so he's going to block. You know, it's not like you you have this vet who is saying, eh, maybe I don't want to block as much. He's going to block. He's going to do what it takes to make this team. And I think it really gets, gets it going. And I think it's the right pick for them. Um, yeah, I know a lot of people were shaking their heads. Here we are at 92. We have, you know, we haven't picked a wide receiver yet, but I tell you what, the Ravens had a plan as far as wide receivers go. Eric DaCosta said there were day one starters all the way through the fifth round in this draft, and it came true. They got a couple of guys that were their guys, and we saw John Harbaugh. At, you know, during the draft when they made this pick, how pumped he was to get Devin. Yeah, he was excited. That's that's why that was the whole point behind our pick at the start of the sh- or uh, our picture at the start of the show is the fact right. that we that we got our guys right. That was kind of the mentality that they really seemed to have. All, all these guys mentioned some of the the, the all time great at wide receiver for the Ravens. They got Derek Mason, Michael Jackson, all great guys. Uh, I'm just excited about this kid, Devin. I think he can have a, a very big impact uh, in this offense in the next year or two. Yeah. All right. So just a few picks later, we go and get some more help at linebacker. Yeah. We go get Malik Harrison out of Ohio State. Starting Couldn't see, believe he was there. Starting to see a pattern with places we're picking and positions we're picking, right? So right. 6'3", 247. Guy ran a four six six forty. Yep. He is. He was considered the f- the third best inside linebacker in this draft. Yep. He was getting a lot of second round grades, so we wind up getting him as a steal at number ninety eight, right? Yeah. I think he was second on the team in pressures, right? To only to Chase Young at twelve point nine percent. So fifth in the Big Ten with fifteen tackles at or behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, Th- this dude is the real deal. I mean, he's going to be that thunder to Lightning McQueen. Where I'm going to call him Lightning McQueen. Patrick McQueen, Patrick McQueen is now Lightning McQueen. This guy <laughs> is going to be the thunder. This is a he's a big, hard-hitting uh inside linebacker. He has a knack for being able to shed blockers really really easily. Uh he played quarterback in high school. Uh, quarterback and safety in high school, actually. So he understands and reads formations really well. Uh, he plugs the gaps against the run very well. Didn't cover much in college. Like I said, I think that's more Patrick Queen's forte. So they'll complement each other very well. Right. Uh, I see a similar role with the Ravens as Queen will be the cover guy. So as much as he was that impactful pass rushing, blitzing, hard hitting linebacker at Ohio State, I think he'll have a very similar role here with the Ravens. Like I said, Queen will be that sideline to sideline kind of guy. He'll be the guy dropping back in coverage. Um, Just a dynamic blitzer gets downfield or downhill really, really quickly. Uh, could see him line up on the edge at times. Obviously, at four six six speed, he's got good speed, so he might be able to come off the edge uh, occasionally as an outside linebacker. But I see this guy lining up majority as a Sam linebacker for sure. 
All right, cool. All right, so then we had that another pick about 10, you know, eight picks later, actually, uh, at 106. And this is where we start to go look a little bit more on the offensive line. And they go get a guy like Tyree Phillips out of Mississippi State. Yeah. Guy's 6'5", 345. He's the biggest player we picked in the draft. Second yep. player from last chance you to be drafted in the NFL and the highest pick from the show. Yep. Uh, this guy can play tackle, but he also has played some at guard as well. So the fact that he can play and move over and kind of, I don't want to say t- take over a little bit from what Yonda, what we expected Yonda, but he has a, a high upside, a lot of potential. He needs to work on a few different things. I know you're going to get into those, but I, I see a good upside for this. I thought this for where they got him, this is a pretty good shot. Yeah, I mean, again, at 106, he's kind of a raw prospect. And when we first picked him, I kind of thought, well, maybe this is that guy. Maybe this is the guy that's going to slide into guard or at least compete at guard that, you know, he's not going to be a tackle. And that's why we're drafting this guy here. Obviously, we get another guy later and we just signed a free agent today that I'm going to talk about later. So that has changed. I think Tyree's actually going to be a backup tackle at this point because we do have good depth at guard now uh, with with the other draft pick that we had, which we're going to talk about. And again, the free agent that we signed. Uh, look, he only played one year of high school football. Like I said, he's pretty raw. Uh, he ended up going to East Mississippi Community College, like I said, in, uh, for that show, uh, Last Chance U. That's right. kind of where he learned how to play, and then he transferred to Mississippi State. He's a massive, massive kid, long arms, real powerful. He's going to be great in the run game, regardless if he's inside or outside. Uh, he's just got a high motor, a tenacious mentality. You're not going to get a bull rush past this guy. You're not going to be able to run through him. You're going to have to run around him. He'll punch you in the chest and take all your momentum out if you try to come straight at him. Uh, The downside, his foot speed is a little slow. He shows poor mobility. This is kind of the same thing that they said about Orlando Brown when he came out of of college. We all see how that kind of worked out. Um, he's going to need to work on his, his ability to pass protect. Uh, I definitely, like I said, I see him as a depth piece right now at tackle, uh, and guard. Maybe he's that flotation guy, kind of like what James Hurst was for us. Um, I don't know. I, I really like this pick at one Oh six. Yeah. And people, people brought up Hurst, and as far as, you know, the him, you know, playing, being able to play guard, we got a few people commenting that I can see that are saying, you know, you signed Fluker today, which we didn't get into right. that, but we can we'll bring that up now. We'll they talk go out about that in a little bit. Yep. Yeah, they go out and get him. But this guy, he, as Fred said, this guy's a, a little bit of a project. So he's not going to be a day one starter, but he helps fill a hole potentially rotationally, whether it's at guard, whether it's at tackle. He he can play in different places, and he's going to help to fill a hole. And at the same time, he's filling that hole. He's learning, right? right. Which is just going to strengthen him by all means. Uh, so I, right. I think it was an, a definitely an interesting pick. Um, I, I do see them playing now that they, before they got Fluker, I thought they'd try to rotate him in a little bit more at guard. I think now we probably see them try to flip back and forth on the either side with a tackle position um, to really see if he, see where he fits in best, but don't be surprised if there's a few, a few snaps that he's playing at guard just to get the experience there. Right. Right. All right. Well, the next pick, you know, another offensive line piece. This yeah. is a guy that I think is going to be a steal at 143. Yeah, so we go we go and get Ben Breedson out of Michigan, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure that John Harbaugh had all the tape that he needed for this pick. Uh, right. <laughs> being his brother's the head coach over there, 
you, you get all the information you need. 6'5", 325, so just a little under the size of Tyree, uh, but started all four years under Harbaugh. Uh, comes from a competitive family as well, so the Breedson family is known. Um, his mom is actually, she does dog shows, and yeah. she is known... You and I were talking about this for the, for the show. She is known to not like to lose. Yeah, they're very very competitive family, uh, which I like about this guy. And you can see how that translates on the field. He's the perfect NFL frame for a guard. Very very solid pass protector. Nasty in the run game. He can turn his opponents out of gap out of a gap with ease. He was, like you said, he was a four-year starter at Michigan, so he's got the experience. And I, I mean, experience against top talent uh, and operated in a pro-style offense already. So, obviously, working under Jim Harbaugh, that's going to be an easy transition to John and this offense. Uh, he plays with great balance, always looking to find work. We talk about guys with high motors. That's what this guy has. Uh, there really aren't a whole lot of question marks with this guy. That's why I think that this is such a good pick. This is a yeah. guy I can see being a plug and play day one kind of guy at right guard. I think, again, there's a lot of question marks about Ben Powers that we just don't know how he's going to work in this offense. I think him and Ben Powers fight it out for that right guard spot if we keep Bradley Bozeman uh, over at left guard. So we could see this guy day one be a starter. He doesn't really have a ton of range. So that's like, again, that's really my only knock on him, man. This guy, he's going to be a solid NFL guard, a steal, and a great fit in this offense. Yeah. Uh, people are chiming in, by the way. They started to call, Steven started to call him Big Ben and goes, whoop, nope, Ben the baller. Yeah, no. <laughs> don't don't even ben. say Big Ben. Get Not away from that one. <laughs> All right. So our next kick pick came in the fifth round uh, at 170. Yeah. Uh, we go and we get another guy to help the defense here. We go and we get Broderick Washington out of Texas Tech. We're, we're liking the Texas guys this year for some reason. Uh, but this guy's 6'3", 305, uh, the biggest defensive guy that we picked in this draft. Uh, this was the pick that we got for Kari Vedvik. Yeah. So let's not re let's not forget what we're getting out of this, right? We gave up Kari Vedvik. We get this guy. The gift it, that keeps on giving. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he was a starter for three years in college. He was named a captain in two of those years, and he was a three-time Big Twelve honorable mention. Yeah, honorable mention, yeah. but it's still your uh, being honored with a mention is still with as many players are as in the Big Twelve. Yeah, you got to appreciate exactly. that. And again, to get this guy in the fifth round, I thought this was the the the. If I'm going to say any pick was kind of a head scratcher at you know at first. This was the head scratcher for me because you already got the one defensive lineman. You brought in all the free agents, you know, in the offseason. But when you start looking at, again, you start looking into the future, right? Obviously, Brandon Williams, he costs a lot of money and his contract's going to be coming up soon. We're going to see a lot of the money shift over to the offense. Right. Are they going to be able to afford Brandon Williams? Maybe this guy is the replacement for Williams down the road. Calais Campbell's only under contract for a couple of years. Derek Wolf's under a one-year deal. So there is a lot of question marks on this defensive front. So again, if you're looking a couple years down the road, I think this guy makes a lot of sense. Very good balance. Right absorbs power very well, uh, can shed blocks and has a knack for knowing where the football is. Not going to create a lot of pressure, uh, but it'll be very, very good against the run. Needs to work on the pass rush a little bit. Right now, all he has in the repertoire as far as pass rush is just that bull rush that we talk about. Just being able to run through guys, uses power, uses lower half to kind of overmatch and 
take over some of the weaker guys. It's yeah. gonna not it's not gonna translate very well into the NFL when he starts playing against these bigger and stronger guys. So that's definitely an area that he's gonna have to work on. Plays a little at tall at times, um, loses his leverage. Right. Will mainly probably be a rotational guy to start with us. Um play a little bit at the nose, a little bit in three technique and on a four, three defense. I, I like this pick again. It's just, it's more future thinking than it is immediate impact. Right. All right. So let me ask this, right? You, you talk, you brought up Williams, right? But this is, yeah. is this guy maybe more of the fill in for, especially for this year, more of a potential rotational fill in for a, a, a Michael Pierce. And, and ultimately my leading, leading that question on, was this a reactionary piece to Derrick Henry again? Yeah, I mean, again, all the I think all of these defensive line and upfront moves uh, are to again better the self against the run uh, and creating pressure. Like we said, a lot a lot of people are enamored with edge rushing because they think that that's where all of the pressure comes from, or the outside linebackers going off the edge. There's a lot of pressure that can be created through the interior of a defensive line. We just haven't seen it in years because we've had the likes of Derek Henry, or we've had the likes of uh, Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce, guys that are big body run stuffing defensive tackles up front. You get some of these more athletic guys, you can replace some of that outside pass rush by interior pass rush. So I think some of these moves uh, are exactly that to stop uh, Derrick Henry. And I do think that Broderick Washington uh, could have a very, very similar role in the future to a Michael Pierce. So I do think to your point uh, that this is a replacement piece for a Pierce. Right. All right. So we move out of the fifth round and originally we didn't have a pick in the sixth round. Right. But through the draft, we pick up a six round pick at 201 and we go out and get a guy that it came from the Vikings trade, not the same one with Kari Vedvik, but a guy that's got a lot of speed. He's got some production. 5-1-201, James Prochet out of SMU. Potentially one of the one of the best value picks that we've seen from what he provides. All these from guys are good value, man. That's that's how this draft rolled, man. We got so much value in this but draft. But when you talk about his production, right? Yeah. With this guy, he netted with this pick, we were netted at 201. Then we have again a number 219. 243 receptions, 3,234 yards, and 33 touchdowns in his college career. Yeah. Most total receptions, TDs since 2017 with 33. Right. That's yeah. damn impressive. Like that's why I'm yeah. saying this is a this is one of the to get this a guy with numbers like that. And I know that there's knocks, but he's also coming out of a small school, right? That's the that's probably the biggest issue if you're looking at it on paper is oh well he faced lower end schools he didn't face higher end talent. That's what time will tell. But to get this guy at two oh at two oh one and him not be gone in the fifth round, I was surprised and happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. Before I get into that real quick, just want to address the chat room because I, I haven't been addressing the chat room a lot yet, and I apologize for that. I know a lot of people are saying, why are we making these moves to address Derrick Henry and Derrick Henry only? It's not Derrick Henry only. It's just Derrick Henry's in our forefront of our mind, right? That's that's where the bitterness comes from after that playoff loss. But you guys are right. You know, Chubb ran all against us. It's 
honestly, a lot of these moves, we use Derrick Henry as the example. Again, it's just to get better against the run. Right. We know how solid this defense is secondary-wise against the pass, right? If we can create a little bit of pressure, get better against the run, this defense is Unstoppable. just going to be ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and our, our window is kind of small as far as having this dominant defense because, again, a lot of this money that's allocated to the defense right now is going to have to change over to the offense. Uh, so that's that's kind of my mindset behind this. But to your point, James Prochet, when you talk about the production that he has, putting up that many receiving touchdowns, it equates to a ton of targets, and rightfully so. The kid has amazing hands, just like uh, Duvernay, only had nine career, not in one season, nine career drops in 457 targets. Nine yeah. drops in 457 targets. We talk about Let's, good hands. Yeah. Let that sink in, sink in for a second. Him and Durvaney had some of the best hands hands in this draft. Those two guys, I mean, if you if you talk about not wanting to draft wide receivers that have hands questions, we definitely didn't that, go down that route in this draft just, at all. Just as a comparison for people to understand this at the NFL level, those numbers at the NFL level – that's the equivalent of Larry Fitzgerald with his numbers with right. with, with drops. Very Think similar. about that. Yep. And with this guy, he's going to go up and get the ball. He's unfazed by contact. I saw a lot of highlights. This guy was making one-handed catches, and I mean jumping over defenders to catch balls. Like very, very athletic in that sense. Uh, he works really, really well over the middle of the field. He's going to need to clean up his route running a little bit if he has it knocks. Uh, not very tight and kind of comes off a bit rounded at times. Uh, he's actually similar in a lot of ways. You brought up Willie Sneed. He's similar in measurables. Yes. Uh, in, in, in the way his impact could be in the slot to a Willie Sneed. Um, he adds the ability as a returner, which is something I was clamoring for a lot. In, in this draft was getting somebody who would be impactful in the return game because yeah. we haven't had anybody re impactful in the return game really since Jacoby Jones. We saw flashes of it with, with Cyrus Jones, but he had too many issues of fumble in the ball. Like right. this guy could have an impact there. I think year one and year two special teams is kind of where you'll see this guy make his biggest impact. I think this is the replacement roster spot wise for Chris Moore. I think Chris yes. Moore ends up, getting cut from this roster when it comes to push to sub as to how many wide receivers and who we're carrying on this team. I think you're, I think you're spot on with that. I think the, the one thing that I liked that you said was, you know, you made the comparison as far as play style and abilities to Willie Sneed, right? What's one of the things we've talked about, uh, you know, time and time again with, when, with Willie out of that slot is when he catches yeah. the ball over the middle, it's his yards after catch. That's right. what this guy is. You mentioned it. He he he's not faced by contact, and those yards after catch are huge. Think about how many situations that we've needed those extra yards over the past I don't know two years that Willie Sneed's been able to just push and grind. So you get a guy right. like this, it's a little bit younger than Willie Sneed. No offense to Willie Sneed, but a little bit younger, a little bit more youthful, and that you can build him up. There's a high right. ceiling. There's a high ceiling for this kid at that position. And to Mavster's point, Duvernay can return too. Absolutely, he'll be yeah. effective in the return game as well, especially with that four to three nine speed. Uh, he'll be a guy that you know will be in that competition. Uh, I don't know. I think Duvernay has a legit shot at being a number three or number four wide receiver on this team. So I don't yeah. know, especially in year one. I don't know if they'll factor him in as a return. Whereas 
you know, you might see like a Proche as the number five guy on the team. And that's typically where you see uh, the, the, the special teams ace, you know, the guy that's the gunner on the outside and the guy that's doing the returns. Uh, I just think that that's kind of will be his role first year or two we'll see well we're gonna get let's get into we'll get to that in a minute i want to get the last guy and then i actually want to talk about potential you know potential guys starting and making roster making this roster so last guy yep. seventh round 219th pick uh the safety gino stone out of iowa 510 207 um and this is just the cherry on top on this draft just to put it yeah. you know, i'm taking your words on this but yep. this really was the player that gives you production out of seventh round his pff was a second round grade yeah, Pro Football Focus had him rated as a second-round grade. Uh, as you said, I mean, to get this type of player and this type of production in the seventh round is mind-boggling. Yeah. Like, mind-blowing. Usually a seventh-round pick are typically very long shots to make the team. Uh, Usually out of small schools. Squad guys. Like, this guy, yeah. I, this kid's physical. He has great instincts. Flies to the ball. There's a lot, a lot to like about this kid. Plays really, really aggressive. A big hitter, a lot like Harrison in that sense, but from the safety uh, position. Right. Only allowed nine first downs in coverage since 2017. That was three years ago. He's only allowed nine first downs in coverage uh, in three years. He played quarterback in high school, so he's he kind of understands coverages really, really well. Yeah. Great awareness. Uh, he has the ability to anticipate and anticipate and break on routes early. Didn't work much up close at the line of scrimmage like in the box uh just because they didn't use him in that sense so he'll need to develop a little bit there if he wants to be that kind of roamer safety where they can bring him in and, and put him back out um needs to work a little bit on wrapping up as far as his tackling goes but again for a seventh round pick this guy is that depth at safety that i was talking about if they can find a good value pick at the safety position that it makes sense right. because b behind behind Chuck Clark and behind Earl Thomas, which Earl Thomas is getting up there in age, right? Behind those two guys, you got, you know, Elliot, who's coming off an injury. I liked what I saw in him at training camp, but then he went down with the injury and we didn't see him again. So he's still a question mark. How is he going to come back? And then you have Anthony Levine, who's that, again, that utility night that we talk about that kind of line up anywhere, everywhere, but he's not a every down safety this gives you that peace of mind that if a Chuck Clark goes down with injury, you've got a guy that can step up and play immediately. Right. And after this draft, this is what everybody was doing. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody saw it, but after the draft, uh, and especially it was actually technically Sunday morning after all the undrafted free agent guys got the, got their offers and got their signings, Eric DaCosta and John Harbaugh, Go out. They are neighbors. Eric DaCosta, they they my neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> they they walk outside. DaCosta has a large ass yard, by the way. I would hope so. He's the GM of an NFL team. Well then you look at I don't maybe John's got more property like where you can't see it, but like they walk up to the fence. Like Eric feels like he's walking forever, like through over the river, through the woods. To John's house we go. <laughs> like then he gets to John's house, and John just has his backyard, this fence stand, and it walks right up to right up to Eric's. I don't know, yeah. but they were they were happy about it. Uh, John was it was was it me or was John like really overly precautious with like, hey, oh, nope, stay there, yeah. stay there, stay <laughs> six feet away. Nah, I mean, look, it's the way you should be right now. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, I'm all right with that. But yeah, it was cool to see everybody fired up, everybody pumped up. The emotion that we talked about with Harbaugh when they when they got the pick for Duvernay. Yeah. Uh, because right before them, I forget who it was that picked. He but, looked. Uh, him and DaCosta looked annoyed. Well, they were annoyed because they didn't know if the pick was going, if it was going to be Duvernay, because I forget who it was, but whoever it was had a need for wide receiver. And it just so happened that the the pick that they made was for a Devin. So the first name they read off was Devin. They were like, oh, shit. Oh, wait a minute. It's not our guy. It's a, a CC or some we're shit still like good. that. <laughs> so they got Duvernay. They got their guy. Uh, yeah. Look, again, there were a lot of shockers at first, like at when you when you first heard the pick, it wasn't that you thought any of these picks were bad. It's just when when you've got a mindset going into the draft of certain needs, right? And you just naturally start putting those in order of which way you kind of want to see them fall. When you hear a running back get picked in the second round and you hear two defensive tackles get picked when there's other needs and you're waiting on offensive linemen. Listen, this thing shaked out great for the Ravens. This could go down as one of their best drafts in team history, in my opinion. It's definitely it's getting a lot of praise. It's getting, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of people are looking the Ravens way now. Uh, And the big thing, right? So the thing that's coming this year is the expanded roster. Yeah. So that's going to open up the opportunity for more of these guys. Right. I talked about, are we carrying four running backs this year? Well, yeah. Okay, do we carry four running backs? Do you carry three QBs again? Do you wind up carrying more uh, secondary guys? Do, do we wind up seeing a guy like Geno Stone being able to make this team long term, right? Or is he just a practice squad guy? It, there's a lot of questions, but I, I want to get your take really quickly. If you could name your guys that you think have the best shot at making this roster this year. Meaning making the active, like, 53-man? Active 53-man roster. The active 53-man, uh, absolutely the first four picks in the draft, for so sure. Queen, Dobbins, uh, Batabuke, and Duvernay, okay? Duvernay and Harrison, sorry. And All Harrison. right, then the All first right, so five picks in the draft. Uh, ben Breedson, 100%, so there's six. Okay. Uh, Prochet, there's seven. seven. Um. I would say seven as far as locks to make the roster opening. I mean, bearing injury or anything like that, you know, to other guys that'll open up, you know, more positions. If the rosters expand from 53 to 55, that does allow a little bit more flexibility. I'm not a hundred percent on that, but at least I think seven will be on the active 53, but all of these guys will absolutely make the roster uh, at least on the practice squad. Yeah. All right. So I, I, I can't say I disagree with you. There. I think it, it makes sense that all these guys are going to be, you know, contributors in some way, shape or form. Uh, you know, obviously being they'll be under team control as well. So that'll that gives us the plus side there that we can stow them away. Uh, some of these guys can be stowed away if we need them to be. Um, yeah, they are saying on Facebook that it is 55. That's what I thought. I, I wasn't sure if it was official this year, if it went from 53 to 55. So that changes things when you start talking about the Ravens traditionally carrying three running backs. Would they carry four? Is Gus the odd man out? Gus doesn't have to be the odd man out now at this point, right? If we no. know that our plan in the future is to potentially let Mark Ingram go after this year, because he's only got one year left on his contract. And like I said, you got to start thinking future-wise. I love Mark Ingram. I love what he is as an impact player, but maybe next year is where it ends for the Ravens because they make the J.K. Dobbins pick, because yeah. they've got Gus Edwards, and because they're not giving up on um, on Justice, Justice Hill, Hill either. Justice Hill is a great change of pace guy. So, 
Well, I do think that the Ravens will carry four running backs this year. And I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out either that the possibility, especially as we reach, you know, the middle of the season, that the possibility that especially Gus or Justice winds up being a guy that that becomes trade bait. That you can yeah. wind up picking up some more more draft picks for next year and, and really if Gus is putting up the numbers that he had last two years, I don't see any reason why not. And I'm entertaining those thoughts, regardless of what's going on with Ingram. I'm entertaining it because of what I know I have in Dobbins and Hill behind him. Um, exactly. So I think it, it just it makes it it makes sense that, that he he comes in and they make for, um, you know, you still have it's it's two spots. You know, people are like, oh, well, you know, it's expanded roster. That is my one statement is it's two spots, people. It actually becomes all that much harder before right. it was like okay now we don't need as much help on corner we've got enough we don't need that we don't need that guy well now you got to go okay we get two extra spots do i add that corner now or do i add it somewhere else right, right. you you don't know and that's that's what's going to be harder i think i think you see teams i don't want to say you see teams complain but i think you you vocally hear teams say it was a lot harder to make these cuts this year uh, just because you're, it's where do you put the that extra man at, right? So, all right, Scott. So it's time for the brew of the week. You Before have we one get into this these week. Undrafted guys. I finally actually have a <laughs> brew this week. You were kind enough to hand this out your door, leave it on your doorstep, six feet away, and I picked it up. You know, all safe like. Yeah, <laughs> and your battery charger. <laughs> Add my charger. Uh, yeah. So, so what are we what are we sipping on today, man? So this is uh, from two S Brew two SP Brewing Company. Uh, this is out of Aston, PA. Uh, mm-hmm. Not exactly sure, honestly, where this is in PA. Did not have time to look it up. But this is their hazy IPA called Up and Out. Uh, how would you describe this, Fred? You're tasting it. You haven't given us a description in a while. A very very bland hazy IPA. It's 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 nothing. In my opinion, nothing spectacular. I ain't talking bad about a about a brand, but um, just your typical high, hazy IPA, six percent alcohol, so it's not a very strong no. IPA. Uh, kind of hoppy at the end, but yeah. uh, I mean a good beer, a good sipping beer for C- sure. Yeah, citrus note, to, citrus note to start, and then follows it off with that hoppiness that you can really taste out of a natural IPA. Um, so yeah. not not bad. I didn't think, I, it, like you said, it didn't didn't blow me away, but it, it's a good. I could. Ours got a little warm from sitting here, so that's probably playing a factor into our taste. I think that's right a big part of mine because I've had it sitting out for now for almost two hours, so mine is pretty warm. <laughs> exactly. So uh, for me, with this, this is this is I, I could see myself sitting outside, drinking a few of these, you know, by a, a bonfire early spring. Um, you know, it's about the only thing you can do right now. <laughs> so right, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it, it's pretty good. So well, make sure you go, you guys go out to liquor stop on Conowingo Road. Let Jerry know we sent you. Get your 10% off. All right. Nice, Scott. Time to take a look at some of these diamonds in the rough. There he is. <laughs> oh, that guy <laughs> over there. Uh, yeah, some of, some of these undrafted free agents. You know, the Ravens are kings uh, of undrafted free agents. This, this is where our bread and butter is we've we've every year i don't know for how many years it's been now uh that we've had a, an undrafted free agent on the roster but it's getting to ridiculous at this point we always find somebody of value and when you bring in 20 plus extra pieces there's got to be at least one or two guys i think 
out of this list that we can keep an eye on that have a legitimate shot at making this rock. Here's where your two extra guys come from is this list. Yeah. Guaranteed. Sure. I guarantee you, it, I, I'm willing to put money on it that unless something happens in training camp or something crazy happens with the team, two of these guys are making it. And you could literally flip coins on which ones those are because, yep. of, because of what these guys bring to the table. The first one, I didn't want to go through all 20 of these guys, so we're not going to go through all 20, no. but we picked a list of like five or six of these guys that you really should keep an eye on come training camp, come preseason, if we have one, whatever it may be. Right. Uh, these are some guys that have a legit shot at me. We've, we've got five guys that, like, these are the guys that you really need to watch, and we got two honorable mentions. The honorable mentions, okay. we're not even going to really get into much, right? But the first one, everybody is talking about this kid. He's the fullback, halfback. Bronson Rocksteiner, strong like bull, uh, out of Kennesaw State. This kid is 5'10", 223 pounds, but this kid is solid effing muscle. Yeah, he looks like his father did. You see yeah. it, and when I say his father, I'm mentioning the one and only WWF Rick Steiner. That's where yeah. the last name actually comes from. Is Rick Steiner? Yep. So this yeah. guy, 44840, 35 reps on the bench press. This kid's a beast and can hit the hole like a mofo. He is a physical freak. I mean, the kid's got strength for days. Um, like you said, he he's gonna line up as a halfback slash fullback in the NFL, more than likely a fullback. We obviously have Pat Ricard there right now, and he just went to the Pro Bowl. Um, and with all this defensive linemen that we're bringing in, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that Pat Ricard's role as far as that versatility is going to simplify a little bit. And we'll probably see him just stick to being a fullback. Um, obviously being a pro bowl fullback, they want to utilize him there. Uh, so this guy, as far as just pure numbers, when we talk about the four running backs that we just took and the fact that we have a pro bowl fullback out there, he's got his work cut out for him. But when you look at him, it's hard to turn this guy away. Rushed for 909 yards last last season as a fullback. 909 right. yards as a fullback. He averaged over eight yards per carry. Uh, doesn't have a lot of you know shiftiness to him, but he'll plow right through you. And if he gets out in the open space, like you said, with that 448 speed, he can run away from defenses. He, um, he's got he had when I watched his his highlight video too. And I'm sure he or, you know, his agent probably put that, that highlight together. But he was able to find the hole, too. It wasn't just that he could that, that he could get that that open speed. He could find the hole. He was catching the ball out of the backfield, right open, open in the middle of the field, hitting guys the yards after the catch. Like you said, plowing through. There's just there's not a lot that you can knock a whole lot. You can knock this kid on. It's no. he didn't go up against the, the greatest of competition, but he's still a guy that. He's getting everybody's attention. Not just he wasn't just the Ravens, but the Ravens were happy to get this guy. Like I said, it's it's really truly for the Ravens. It's going to come down to a numbers game, right? They did expand the rosters to fifty five, but who are you robbing? To, you know, Peter to pay Paul type of thing. If you're going to carry four running backs and you're already carrying Ricard, do you really have the spot for a guy like this guy? Uh, especially you know with the the needs at offensive line to keep this. <laughs> this yeah. offense operating at a high speed. So they're probably going to carry an extra uh, offensive lineman there. I just think regardless of whether he makes the Ravens roster or not, this guy will be on an NFL roster oh, at no some doubt. point. 
He's got the frame of like a Mike Allstott. For you older guys out there, you probably remember Mike Allstott. You played for the Buccaneers years ago. Uh, for some of the younger generation, Peyton Hillis, he had like one or two <laughs> good years, I think, with Cleveland. Uh, he was on the Madden cover, I think, the one year. He's got that similar build, uh, just a mauler. Uh, and obviously he's got a great, great work ethic, gets in and after it at the gym. Uh, this guy will be on an NFL roster. I just don't think it'll be here only due to number sakes, unless somebody, God forbid, goes down with an injury. Right. And I, I don't know how true this is. Brian might have to look this up for us and put us in the chat. But Q Hutt commented on YouTube and said that the kid can also play the tight end position as well. Can you imagine this kid being a blocking tight end? Yeah. yeah. I mean, at 5'10", that's pretty short for a, a tight end. You don't usually see guys under like six two playing tight end. But right. from a physicality standpoint, as a blocker, yes. But uh, I, I just don't see him making this roster as a tight end. No. Yeah. But right. from a physicality standpoint, I get it. Right. Well, speaking of tight end, the other guy that we got that was th this guy was high on a lot of people's list until he wound up getting hurt. Uh, went down with a broken leg in week six for Oregon. Is tight end Jacob Breland. This kid is 6'5", 252. He was the most productive tight end in the country until he went down. Um, so yeah. this guy's got a lot of upside. If he didn't get hurt, this guy was being projected as a potential second, third-round type guy because right. he can. He he is another Mark Andrews type that he's a tight end. He can be physical, but he can catch like a wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, again, to your point, this guy was on a tear out there at Oregon before the injury, and he probably would have been a third-round pick, especially with the lack of options and tight end in this draft. Uh, he's got decent down-the-field speed, good working vertical, has a good catch radius. He can take a hit and keep on moving, so there's a lot to like about that. Uh, he has the speed to be able to pick up yards after the catch. He doesn't have a lot of weight, though, down low, so he's going to need to work on that. He's going to get pushed around trying to pass protect or just blocking in general like that's his biggest knock yeah. is his ability to block and i think in this offense uh you need to be able to do a little bit of both right that's that's what hayden hurst did that's why he was so valuable to this offense was his versatility so if you're gonna replace a hayden hurst right you're not gonna be able to replace his production as far as a pass catcher uh with with um with um oh my god uh, Nick Boyle, oh, yeah, right? You're yeah. going to have to have somebody. I think this guy can do that, but he's got to round out his game. He's got to get a little bit more strength. He's got to take to the training uh, in training camp if there is much of a training camp. And if he can show that he can do that, he does have a legitimate shot at making this roster. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what he can do and if he's really, truly, fully back from the injury. Another Hollywood-type yeah, situation. It's a big, yeah, it's a big hurdle to get over for sure. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. So the next guy that we're going to talk about, which which is a guy I know you you kind of threw on me. It was it wasn't originally on our list, and it was like you know what, this is another guy. The more I looked at it, you know, six two two thirty. It's our it's the edge rusher John Daka out of James Madison. Uh, he is from Upper Marlboro, Maryland, so he's a close yeah. homegrown talent. Finished his career at JMU with twenty seven and a half sacks. That's fourth overall time in the school's history. Right. Yep. FCS first team all American last year, 67 tackles, 28 for a loss, 16 and a half sacks in a single season record at JMU, four forced fumbles and 13 QB hurries. Yep. Sounds this, like a Raven already. Yeah. This guy uh, has the 
when you look at the measurables, right, and you look at comparisons, I, I hate comparing people, but we always do it because people want to know, like, kind of put a visual to it. Right. I think when you looked at him coming out of college, this guy was very, very similar uh, to a couple of guys that we've drafted lately, uh, especially the kid, uh, I can't think of his name, the kid out of Alabama that we ended up cutting that went to uh, the Packers, and I think he got cut there. Um, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, not not Smith, not Zadarius Smith, uh, Tim Williams. Tim Williams, yeah. Tim Williams, athletically, I think is a very comparable guy to this. High motor, he's going to get after it. He's not the biggest guy, but his quickness and flexibility is going to allow him to get around the corner create pressure uh the mobility can aid him in dropping back to work in space and play in pursuit versus the run he could add some depth to that weak outside edge rusher position that we keep talking about um so he could be a stash kind of guy if he makes the roster a guy you stash on the practice squad for next year or two years down the road once some of these older guys start making their way off the roster and you have a need and he has a chance to grow and develop but you can't question his production. I mean, his production at the collegiate level, even if it was FCS, is really, really good. Yeah, I had to bring up a, a comment that did come through just because we've been talking about uh, about different things with it. But Craig Zero on Facebook says, what if EDC got a bunch of guys in free agency to create competition in order to get them mentally ready for the season? Well, so that's a good point, right? I think a lot of these guys, if you noticed through the draft, Right through the draft, they drafted guys from big programs, guys that were experienced, guys that have gone up against some of the best competition. The Ravens have been like historically have taken some shots at some of the smaller school guys because of some measurables and some intangibles, and they think that they can translate with the right training to you know to the NFL quickly. Right. But with this year, with with kind of the time frame of, of, of how much work you're going to be able to get to work with these guys up in the air, they went with guys that were a little bit more established, I think, that can transition pretty easily, uh, which, to your point, will create competition, will get the best out of most guys. Because, listen, if you're just sitting at home right now and you're not working out and you're not putting in the time to be better, there's another guy that is, and it's going to take your job. I don't question anybody's work ethic on this Ravens team. The leadership of John Harbaugh and everybody, I, I know that he holds these guys to a very, very standard, and I think most guys follow suit with that. I don't think that'll be an issue, but I do think that that's why they drafted a lot of kids from big programs is so that that transition is a little bit easier. Yeah, and that, that absolutely makes sense. Um, you know, another guy, so this is this is the one that, you know, some people are scratching their head on, but I completely get it. Uh Tyler Huntley out of Utah, 6'1", 205, quarterback. Yep. Some of you are probably going, huh? But here's the thing about this kid. This kid's a dual-threat quarterback. Where have I heard that before, Fred? <laughs> yeah. I think right. I hear it every time we talk about the Ravens. Lamar Jackson, right? That's why you're taking right. a flyer on this kid. In all reality, that's what all of these guys on the undrafted you know, side of things, when you're signing undrafted free agents, you're taking flyers on them. It's... it's yeah. Pennies on the dollar as far as your cap space is concerned, and if it even winds up fully hitting your cap space. But that's the thing about this kid is because he's so he's such a dual-threat quarterback, you're looking at him saying, okay, we could potentially fill him in. We He, he has the ability to, to play wherever we need him. I don't know that they're completely sold on Trace. I think Trace, you know, there's still a lot of question marks around him because we haven't seen him play in the offense fully. So, right. 
this just gives you yet another option to look at. And who knows? You, this could bump Trace up or Trace could get discouraged and wind up falling off. And now this kid comes in into play. There, there's a lot of yeah. different things, but you always want to look and take a flyer on somebody that is going to be able to run an offense the way that your offense is designed. Right. And I mean, historically, the Ravens haven't carried three quarterbacks. Last year was one of the years of exception. Uh, the majority of the season, though, Trace McSorley was on the practice squad. He, I think he was only active really for one play. Um, only made one play anyway. He was on the field for one play. Um, so there's a lot of things that would have to happen in order for this guy to actually make the roster. But I do think that this kid's got a legit shot in a system that's similar to our system, that dual threat system that he has a chance to make an NFL roster as a number two or a number three kind of guy. He's got good mobility in the pocket and like Lamar keeps his eyes down the field, even when moving around. Like that's one of the really good things. And one of the things I really like about that even when things break down, he's not automatically looking to run. Like he's keeping his eyes downfield and looking for that play. This guy does a lot of that same thing. He's pretty accurate passing down deep down the field. Doesn't have the strongest of arms. I think that's one of his biggest drawbacks. He doesn't have a lot of power behind it, but he has a very deep, a very, a very good deep ball and a very accurate deep ball. Um, and again, a dynamic runner, but again, like Lamar isn't looking to run first, takes care of the football, which is huge with John Harbaugh and huge in this offense. Right. Uh, doesn't take any unnecessary hits. You see him get out of bounds. You see him get down. So he's already got that learning curve at the collegiate level. Um, if I can knock anything, like I said, doesn't have the strongest arm, seems to wait a bit on his receivers to get open before like anticipating the throw. Um, didn't seem to have that, like it factor, that clutch factor. He, there were a few games where late in the game, he could have had a chance to lead them back on, you know, to a win on the last drive of the game. He wasn't able to do it. Um, but could be intriguing option. Uh, like I said, I don't think it'll be with the Ravens, but for a system that's similar to ours could be a number two or number three guy somewhere. Yeah. A few people are commenting and bring up a good comment about this. And it's, I'm interested to get your take real quick. Right, so we, we talked about Trace, but some people are saying now RG3's gone, right? It, I, I don't know that that's the case. Some people are saying oh, he's gone, he's insurance, he wants to go start. And those are things that are probably all true. But I think he's also in a place in his career that RG3 is also going to want to win a championship. Yeah, I think that's I think it's true, but I do also agree with them that I do think RG3 wants to play and wants to start somewhere, but... You can want all you want at the end of the day. Jameis Winston wants to start. <laughs> Cam Newton wants to start. Yeah. James Winston just signed a backup deal with with the Saints. He's gonna, you know, sign a one year deal to back up Drew Brees. Uh, Cam Newton's still unsigned. The problem is there's a limitation with how many starting jobs are out there. So if there's some injuries and a position opens up, absolutely I can see RG3 being traded, bump trace up the depth chart, and maybe this guy's got a shot. That's why I'm saying. There are some things that could happen to potentially this guy make the roster. But as it is right now with the three quarterbacks that we have, I don't see Huntley jumping either one of those guys. I don't see the Ravens just releasing RG3 for the sake of releasing him. If, you know, they're paying him very, very minimal. Right. So if they're going to do anything with him, it's going to be a trade to at least get something back, a sixth round pick, a seventh round pick, something back. Uh, but again, a team's got to have a need. Uh, and I just don't see the need right now as the roster shake out today. If anything, that situation I think would come up, you know, mid season, somebody's QB goes down, 
you need a QB that's primed and ready, ready, then you start then that starts happening. But beginning of the season, I think you're spot on. Teams have, have kind of gotten to that point that if you don't know who your quarterback's gonna be for this year, or at least have it down to two guys, you got bigger problems than not having a quarterback. <laughs> it right. Sounds like you need a new GM. Um, right. But let's get into the last guy that we wanted to mention uh, before our two quick honorable mentions. Edge rusher Chauncey Rivers out of Mississippi State. 6'2", 262. Yet another guy out of last chance, you. Uh, yep. And teammates with Tyree at both places with EMCC as well. So my question to you, what do you see in this kid that, that he's on your list of somebody to watch? So... When you just look at him pure athletically, like he's got the build right now today just to be a, a wrecker uh, as far as an edge rusher goes. But this is why he was undrafted, right? The kid's raw, um, great frame, like I said. he's got He got into the backfield. If you watch his tape against Alabama, it's really the only tape I got a chance to watch him at. He was in the backfield against Alabama all the time. Right. Right. And you're talking about one of the best offensive lines in the country, one of the best programs in the country. He had Tua running all over the place. He's got very strong hands and has the ability to shed blockers at will. Uh, if this guy can just work on his technique, learn a couple of moves, take advantage of the veteran leadership that is on this team, learn from Matt Judon, learn from a Calais Campbell, this kid, whether it's with us or not, could absolutely make the roster or make a roster somewhere. Uh, he's got the physical tools to be able to do it. He's just raw. He needs to work a little bit on everything. Uh, but physically wise, this kid's a, a mauler. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like he's got all, he touches all the intangibles. When you're making two a run, it catches attention. Shout uh, out to the Ravens Nation, the basement. Appreciate you, Rick, uh, chiming in. I see you in there, man. I hadn't seen you in a while, so good to see you, brother. Yeah. Good to see you, man. Uh, so let's give our two quick honorable mentions, right? So the first one is Nick Vogel, kicker out of UAB, right? Yeah. We're signing a kicker, undrafted guy. Yeah. But you know what? Nick Vogel. He might be worth watching. You know, it's it's you're gonna have to look at some point at the few at a future beyond Justin Tucker. I'm not saying that's right now, but no. at some point you have to look at that. No, it's not now. It's not in the next couple of years. It's still a ways away before anything happens. Justin Tucker. The only reason I even had him on the guy to look at is if the Ravens are signing this guy as an undrafted guy. Camp kickers for the Ravens have historically turned out really good value. <laughs> Whether that's a Will Lutz who ended up having you know signing with the Saints and having a really good uh, good career so far right. out there in New Orleans, or all the shit that we got for Kari Vedvik, the, the 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 trade that just kept on giving, you got to keep your eye on the on the second kicker on the Ravens all the time, just because you never know what you're going to get right. out of this guy. He he might end up signing with another team and and having a great career, or we might end up getting another fifth round draft pick out of him. Who knows? But <laughs> no, Justin Tucker's the goat. Justin Tucker's got a lot more years left than him. We're not worried about that he's he's going to be he, here for he the is, long haul. but i think you get and that was that was my point like at some point you're going to have to look that way so you're always looking just because you never know what can happen right appreciate and I, that nick you you know yeah thank you nick um you know i i you're going to kill me for saying this because you always do if something were to happen to tucker if something were to happen to tucker you got to have somebody rating waiting in the wings and we, yeah, I mean, but nobody carries two kickers. Oh, no, 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 I'm not saying camp? we're I'm not saying we're okay. carrying him. I'm saying it's the same situation that we have with Kari Vedvik. Kari Vedvik actually probably could have pulled in, you know, potentially higher if if he wouldn't have gotten in that 
crazy the fast the situation. fascination with Kari Vedvik was the fact that he was both he was that multi-talent that he could kick and he could punt and everybody got infatuated with that and that he was raw but you know he came into camp and he was kicking the shit out of the ball for us and everything looked really good and everybody's like oh man this guy I could take one roster position to do my kicking and my punting sign me up all day right and I think that was the infatuation with Kari yeah. Vedvik Obviously, we all know how that worked out as he's been signed and released now, I think, by three or, three or four, four different teams, teams at yeah. this point. But, uh, hey, we got a fifth-round pick, pick out of it. Eric DaCosta is the GOAT. Yeah, <laughs> he reason. is. He's, a, he's a, for, for that same reason. The other guy that I just had to mention is Sean Pollard. This guy's a center out of Clemson. He was the center for arguably one of the best quarterbacks last year. That didn't go into oh, the draft. Yeah. That's not arguably. That's the fact. I mean, he's definitely Trevor, one of the yeah. top three quarterbacks in, in last last year and the year prior. Right. Trevor Lawrence, right? He's his center. Obviously, if Trevor Lawrence has time to throw the ball, he's got a pretty decent line. Yeah. We know we can you know we can run, but you gotta have a good center that can snap you the ball accurately, that can be able to block you up the middle. That's one of the weaknesses that's on some of these front lines is your center. He's not able to get off the ball quickly after he snaps it to be able to get to somebody. Somebody yeah, I mean, to pay I get your point to. there. Um, but listen, the Ravens ended up bringing in a lot of depth at the offensive line. I was worried. Oh, no doubt. We talked about it earlier. I, I, I was worried about the offensive line because I thought we needed to draft an offensive lineman early. Uh, we waited until, you know, the fourth round, I think, was it the fourth round that we got him? Yeah. And we got two back-to-back uh, that bring in some depth. I, I Like I said earlier, Breedson's going to be, I think, in the competition as a day-one starter right up there with with Ben Powers. Then we bring in uh, we bring in Fluke uh, from Seattle who was yeah, cut Fluker, yeah. just the other day. Uh, that's another guy that could be a plug-and-play type starter at guard right away. So – I'm actually okay right now with the way we sit from a depth perspective on the offensive line. But again, to your point, he was blocking for one of the best quarterbacks in the nation last year. He comes from one of the best programs at Clemson. Uh, so, I mean, you definitely, it's worth taking a look at. Yeah, it, uh, and, and if you have somebody go down in camp, or if you can stash him on the practice squad for depth purposes, why not? Yeah, not not saying he by any means is going to make this team, but you know, we could get into camp and kind of to everybody's point, you know, if he gets into camp and everybody's like, well, damn, look at this kid. He was undervalued. Right. This is a damn steal. Then right. we could see him make the roster. You know, there's there's so many there. Like you said, there's depth, but there's question marks. It's, we're, I think we're going to see a little bit more of a rotational setup until we get things solidified, which should ideally happen in camp. So I'm really curious to see what we wind up doing. All right, so before we get into Terps news, got to do a quick social media shout-out. We've had a lot of people in the chat room all day. Uh, so just a couple of people that I saw, I put a note down, I want to make sure I give a shout-out to real quick. Nick, Josh, Steven, James, Q-Hut, D-Bag, Alex, Master, Bryce, Muhammad, Craig Zero, uh, Andrew, Carlo, David, Big Play. Good to see you, brother. Man22, Rick, Andrew, if I didn't see you already, Craven some Raven. Uh, all, all of our usual BSers, man. Appreciate each and every one of you guys tuning in. Appreciate all the comments. If you guys don't know how this show works, at the end of our quote-unquote podcast, we do it's a last call segment. That's typically where we'll work a bunch of your questions in to try to answer some of them. But I do have a couple that uh, Brian picked out for us that I want to bring okay. up. Um, so Steven said earlier, 
I thought the same. Why a running back? Wait till next year. But looking at the stats, wow, Eric is the man. And that's right to our point. I think yeah. everybody kind of had that same reaction at first with the, with the running back pick, especially in the second round. We talked to it prior to the draft. I didn't think it was a need. I didn't think that they were going to do it, but they did it. And again, long term, we said it, this guy's going to have an immediate impact. And I think he is the answer at running back for the next three to four years, for sure. Yeah, he's, he he provides you that depth. And like I said, it's I, I honestly truly think as much as I love Gus the bus and I love Justice Hill, one of the two of them is going to come become trade bait at some point for for this team because this kid's got so much upside to him. Andrew chimed in. He said of the core five, who do you realistically see get re-signed and who goes out? of Stanley, Lamar, Humphrey, Andrews, and Orlando Brown Jr. Well, I'm going to say we're going to keep them all. We'll figure out a way to keep them all. I mean, there's a couple of guys on here that you could just check right off the right off the bat. Lamar's not going anywhere. Humphrey's not going anywhere. Um, Andrews, with the production that he's had and you how reliant is on him, he's not going anywhere. His two bookend tackles are the only ones, I think one of them might be susceptible. It just depends on how much money they can transfer over from the defense to the offense and what that looks like. Uh, but again, if they can finagle cap money around uh, and they can make this work, ideally they keep all five. Uh, I just, I can't see any of these guys leaving. I really can't. I, I don't, I can't see it either. If I, if I, if you're holding a gun to my head and saying, okay, you got to pick one. <sighs> Zeus Jr. maybe and that's 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 like I don't even want to do that I'm right there with you and the only reason I say that is because I think we saw what uh their the rumors are for Tunzel right Tunzel's potentially going to get 22 million dollars a year that means Stanley's going to be right there in that same ballpark 22 23 million dollars a year another team might see Orlando Brown as their franchise left tackle, which left tackles, blindside tackles, get paid the most money in the NFL for a reason, yeah. another team might say, hey, if Orlando Brown hits free agency, we're going to offer this guy left tackle type of money, and he might go somewhere else for that type of deal. That's really the only guy out of those five that I potentially see going if if that scenario came down. Right. I can't see the Ravens paying $20 million for both of their tackles. They just wouldn't be able to afford and it. Craig Craig on, on Facebook brings up a good point. He says it also is going to depend on the Judon contract. If we get a contract yeah, done if, with Judon, if. yeah, if you get a contract done with Judon, then, yeah, that's going to play a huge role in that. But I think because of the if, that's why Fred and I are saying, like, we think that there's enough there and we have enough to be able to, in the future, finagle something, move things around. You have enough depth to still be effective on that front line. Some of these guys could really play a role and you may not have to re-sign Judon. Right. So. All right. So real quickly, we're going to do a rundown on some of our favorite Terps uh, that had their big NFL day or days this weekend yeah. uh, for the draft. Take a look at some of these guys and where they ended up. Where do they get picked? Um, a lot of guys that, you know, we thought would go and they kind of went where they did. Um, so let's just start right off the bat, right? The, the big name that went the earliest, uh, Anthony McFarland, he ends up going in the fourth round, but he goes to the Steelers. Ugh, that's painful. 
Yeah. Love to see this guy get drafted. Love to see him. I, he, that's about where I had him projected. Yeah. Late third, early fourth uh, for Anthony McFarland. So in the fourth round, he goes to Steelers. So even with all the question marks that came out pre-draft about his character and his personality right. in the locker room and all that stuff, because there was a lot of people questioning all that stuff, still goes to the fourth round to the Steelers. Yeah, he goes, I think it's a good pick for them. Yeah, I think it's. I think they're getting a good pick there. Uh, you know, you, you can't then not bring up their other sixth round pick for the Steelers, which was Antoine Brooks. So you have yeah. two Terps going to the Steelers. Here's my question as a Terps fan. Is the Locks Tomlin connection a little too tight? Eh, I, I, look, it's inside information, right? You've got Mike Tomlin there. You've got Matt Canada, who had a, a brief stint yeah. with the Terp, right? And, and had worked with these guys. So uh, you had a couple of connections there, some inside information. And both of these guys projected as NFL, you know, uh, draftees anyway. So the right. Steelers got, I thought, two very good picks uh, and Anthony McFarland, they have a de- a desperate need at running back. James Conner, uh, I thought he, it's a great story. I thought he had a good year uh, or two. I just don't think his body's going to hold up. He's had too many injuries and all of that. Benny Snell, they got last year, I think is a decent running back for sure, but they still need depth. And I think Anthony McFarland can not only bring depth at running back for him, but also add another element in the return game for him. He's Agreed. a 4-4 speed kind of guy. Uh, so, Kudos to him. Antoine Brooks, I think he's that we saw him at Maryland. You know, he's that kind of Anthony, Anthony Levine style player yeah. in the sense that you can line him up at linebacker. You can put him back at safety. He plays in the box a lot. Um, I think that he has a chance to legit be a starter potentially day one, even as a sixth round pick. I, yeah. I'm I'm high on Antoine Brooks as far as his NFL projection. I think we would have both, we all, you, me, Ryan, our Terps BS for we all would have been surprised had Brooks gone undrafted uh, yeah. just because of what he brings to the table. Somebody's going to somebody's going to want a, a safety that can roam like he had like he can be able to play and be able to be a starter if you need him to be right. He can right. sit behind somebody. He can play rotation. But he, if you need him to step up, I think he has the ability to play at this NFL speed and be able to cover guys fairly easily uh, without much issue. So definitely excited well, to see both those guys go. Well, you bring up speed. And I think one of the things that knocked this last guy, Javon Leak, uh, Javon Leak ends up going undrafted, but he does sign a deal with the Giants. I think what knocked him out of the draft wasn't his ability. It wasn't what he shows on tape. It wasn't his production at, at you know, at Maryland. I mean, this guy was one of the most productive backs on our team, uh, was our one of our best returners that we've had in a long time, really since probably Will Likely. Right. Uh, he brings a lot of versatility in that sense, but he shit the bed at the NFL Combine. I mean, shit the bed and shit it bad. I mean, he I think he ran like a 4-7-something, 40, yeah, which looked terrible. Bad. He just looked stiff. He looked like he was running up right. He just, he looked, to me, he looked like he had never ran a, a, a timed 40-yard dash which is why I think the combine is such trash as far as evaluation goes. Because if you have a guy like an Anthony McFarlane, Anthony McFarlane was a track guy in high school. That's all he did. He's a sprinter. He knows right, how he to line up. He knows how to get the jump off the line. He knows what he's doing. A guy like Javon Leak, who doesn't have that track background, and that's no knock on McFarlane. That's just the fact. Javon Leak didn't have the track background. Maybe he didn't put in the work. 
uh, as far as working with the trainer and stuff like that, as far as getting himself prepared, and that's on him. Right. Uh, but I, I ultimately think that's what knocked him out of the, you know, of the draft itself. But I do think uh, in the return game to start with the Giants, he can make an immediate impact and be big in their special teams unit. He can definitely play a role for them, and that you know, not not only that, but being behind a guy like Saquon Barkley, I mean, just just to be able to to sit there and pick his brain and watch yeah. him play you know, at that level, that's going to be just all inspiring for Leak and just help to make him that much better of a player. Um, to your point, I think one of the things that that's, that frustrates me when it comes to the combine and this year had, I hate to say this, but you kind of almost wish in for guys like this that if COVID would have hit earlier and we never would have had a true combine, some of these guys that went undrafted probably would have been drafted because guys would have been looking at what they should be looking at. We have stat cast nowadays for everything. We have spin rate on a ball for God's sake. You can't tell me that that's not all the information you need. And you need to see this guy run a 40 with no pads on coming out of an unnatural position for him. It's just ridiculous. I get get it for maybe some of the smaller school guys or some guys that there really isn't a whole lot of tape on haven't physically seen, you know, up close and personal. There are perks to the draft or to the combine. I'm not saying it's completely useless, but I think it's things like this, situations like this that put a black mark on somebody's resume and it shouldn't because if you just watch this guy on tape, right. literally just watch him on tape, there's nothing that says 4-7 speed about this guy. Everything about the way he runs away from defenders says 4-4 type speed. Right. But it, it comes down to technique and it comes down to launch off of that, you know, off of the block in a 40-yard yeah. dash. And it's all about your posture. And he just looked uncoordinated. He looked uncoordinated in those in those runs. Again, he looked really stiff, but nonetheless, he's got a shot, and that's all he needs is a shot. And I think he's got a real, real good shot at making it as a returner for the Giants. The next guy is a guy that I've been really, really high on ever since he transferred to Maryland. And early on last year, when we were, we, Ryan and I went out there for the spring game and the first couple of games of the season, I thought this guy's got NFL talent written all over him. Yeah. It's tight end Tyler Mabry. Um, I mean, he was very, very productive at Buffalo, which is where he transferred into Maryland, um, had offers to go transfer out to Alabama turned Alabama down to come to Maryland because he thought he had a more of a an opportunity here and Locke sold him on the opportunity here in the offense, have an immediate impact. And he did in the first two games. But then we all know what happened with Maryland's football season after that. I mean, it, it, it Josh Jackson, completely, <laughs> yeah, the, the bottom fell out of the offense. Josh Jackson did not look like Josh Jackson anymore. He looked like Janet Jackson out there trying to throw a football. I think you're giving him too much credit. Janet Jackson could have probably thrown a better football. She, she probably could have. I mean, it, it was really, really bad. And they just completely abandoned using Tyler Mabry. Plus, with all the, the, the injuries that they had on the offensive line, they required him to stay in more and chip and help block than right. he was as a, used as a pass catcher, which is really his best trait. He gets ended. He ends up getting a, a free agent deal with Seattle, so he's going to go out there with Russell Wilson. Right. I think this could be a really good match for them. Russell Wilson historically really hasn't had the greatest of tight ends to throw to. I think they were real happy when they got Jimmy Graham uh, a couple of years back, but, but Jimmy Graham just was kind of a shell of himself as to what he was in New Orleans. 
Um, never really had the greatest of tight ends to work with. Uh, so I think Tyler Mabry's got a real good shot at making it out there uh, in Seattle, and I think he'd be a good fit out there with Russell on that offense. Yeah. Uh, the next guy that, that we got to get into is a guy that's going to the Saints, and he could be, he, you know, he's listed as a cornerback, but I think for the Saints he's going to play a little bit more uh, of a special teams role at first, uh, maybe be able to work his way in at corner, and that's Tino Ellis. Um, you know, he signs with them. I think – he, he's going to play that special teams role, be a, a little bit more of a gunner. He has that ability, uh, but I don't think you see him come in and be a, a starter, or ne- maybe not necessarily even a rotational guy at cornerback for them. No, Tino Ellis has got the ability to play in the NFL, um, but he, he there's a lot of rawness to his game, too. There's a lot of technique and, and things that he needs to work on. He was a, a wide receiver in high school. Uh, converted over to a DB at cornerback uh, once he got to Maryland. So he's only been playing cornerback for a couple of years. Uh, so he's got some things to work on. But let's let's be honest, Saints secondary isn't very good. Uh, so no. he does have a shot at making the roster there. Would probably be a stash guy, a development guy. Put him on the practice squad for a year or two. Get him to work in your system and then bring him up. Uh, and he's there for depth purposes if people start going down with injuries and that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, good to see Tino Ellis go to a good program under Sean Payton uh, and a program of need. Like I said, they've got a need at D-back. Yeah, they could definitely use it. So uh, last one, Keandre Jones signs with the Bears. Surprised by this? Interested by it? Uh, this was the last the last signing. This was, uh, you know, at first it was just the, the those five guys. Keandre Jones, I think, just signed with the Bears either today or late yesterday, maybe. Uh, so this was one of the later signings. Keandre, listen, he was a very productive linebacker for us here last year. Uh, there's a lot to like about him character-wise. Uh, he's a, a good locker room guy as far as that goes. People like playing with him. But as far as NFL talent goes, I just don't think he has the speed. I don't think he has the explosiveness. He's not great in coverage. He's not great at, you know, at, at, at rushing and getting after the passer. There's just not anything about his game that jumps out to me and wows me. Uh, a very good college guy, a good fit here at Maryland. That's why he ended up transferring from Ohio state to Maryland. He just didn't get the playing time at Ohio state because he was behind better backers. Um, I just don't see him making the roster, but it's a good thing that he got a shot. That's all yeah. you need, man. You never know what's going to happen. And if he can go in there and again, learn the system uh, and pick things up quickly, he's got a high football IQ. He can learn things very quickly. Just so that, always that, that is going strong for him, but we'll see. Yeah. That's, that's going to be the thing for him is I don't know that he's going to last too long with that ability, you know, kind of to your point, everything for him, it's, it's everything's at par. Right. It's right. in some cases, some some points may even say subpar, but for the most part, it's all par and, and par doesn't get you starting in most of the cases. It's not even going to get you on the opening roster, the active roster when once the season opens. Um, right. So I got two quick questions for you then. Right. Yeah. Who's going to have the quickest impact and who's going to have the longest career out of those guys? Oh, man. Um. I think who will have the quickest impact would be Anthony McFarlane just because he'll be able to bring versatility both as a runner and a returner. And I think his immediate impact is going to be as a returner. Uh, He will be probably the second or third running back on the depth chart behind Connor and behind Benny Snell. So he'll get some carries kind of like a, 
Justice Hill type role. You know, it wasn't anything right. that wowed you the first year, but he got some carries. He got some production. I think it will have a similar effect in that offense. Uh, and then if somebody goes down with injury, if James Conner can't come back healthy, he gets more. Right. Uh, so in the in the return game, though, I think is where you'll see him make the most impact. So I think immediate is Anthony McFarland. I think long term, and I said this kind of earlier, I think Antoine Brooks is a long term uh, prospect for the Steelers. This guy, again, look at how long of a career Anthony Levine has had for us. He's not great. Anthony Levine isn't great in any one thing. But, but he's, he's, he's service a little more than serviceable at everything. Right. You can line him up all over the field. And again, he's he is a special teams guy. And I think Antoine Brooks is going to have to do that same thing. He's going to have to make a big impact in special teams. Uh, and I think because of his versatility, you can line him up as a backer. You can line him up as a safety. You can get him to get after the quarterback. All the things that he did here in Maryland. Uh, I think will extend his career uh, at you know with Pittsburgh. Excited to see what all, what happens with all these guys for sure. Yeah. All right, Scott. So it's time for the rundown. It's been a uh, couple of weeks now that we've been doing this segment. We all know the sports world is just kind of a dumpster fire right now, or a tumbleweed, uh, <laughs> whatever you want to say. There's not a whole lot going on in the sports world. That's why. Everybody was so pumped for this NFL draft, which it, in my opinion, we didn't really talk much about the production of the NFL draft, but I thought it went really, really well. They didn't have any of the technical issues that everybody was worried about. I thought from a production standpoint, uh, it went well. I thought even Roger Goodell, you know, the, the, the booing him and all that stuff was kind of cheesy the way that they did it with the fans in the background and all that stuff. It was, it was kind of stupid. I'd, but I'd not, I'd, I tip my cap to him for nodding it and trying to let it be. He knows it's yeah. been a thing. I mean, he, right. He it's embraced a, it's a it. Stick and he took it and he, you know, he was okay with it. I, I liked it, but it was kind of cheesy. But from a production standpoint, Roger, I thought seemed likable, uh, seemed very relaxed, kind of chilling, <laughs> sitting on the couch. Kicking his feet up and he's reading off. It was picks. like Mr. Rogers sitting in that chair going, right. The next draft pick. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, I, I don't know the, the production of it. Like you said, I think it was, I, we all were questioning it first. And you, I think you were the one that brought it up when he did like the pre interview, uh, yeah. prior to going on, it looked green screen, but we learned real quick. That was not a green screen. That was yeah. all 100% real. That's his room. That's the chair that he, you know, he apparently sits in. Uh, the cool thing, I know, I think it's in the all-in, um, all-in challenge thing. I don't know if you've heard about this, where different yeah. celebrities are doing things. He went through and he put down, he put up a game, a Monday night football game. You get to come to his house, watch a Monday night football game, and sit in that chair that he he sat in for the draft. That's pretty awesome. And it, it's, got, pretty awesome. it's it's a bidder, so it's not, unfortunately, it's not like anybody can do it. It's the highest bidder, and that's just them trying right. to get more money, hoping somebody's going to put out a million bucks or something. But, but, but you know what's funny about it, too, is they, uh, you know, as the night's going on and they're they're going around from GM's house to GM's house to coach's houses to coach's houses, it's really interesting to see some of these people's setups, man. You had... You know, everything from as basic as, as like a one-bedroom apartment, you know, <laughs> look at studio apartment. Guys. Yeah, I mean, it looked terrible. And then you had 
Cliff Kingsbury, who looked like the bachelor, you know what I mean? Like the fire set up and he's lounging. He's got his, his white, you know, button down fitted shirt on unbuttoned, you know, with a little giant hanging out, the giant floor to ceiling windows, looking out on the, the I wanted to be there. I was like, (laughs) I will cuddle with you if I can sit there. I mean, that's how open it looked. It looked really nice. I'll cuddle with you, Cliff. If that's what you're looking for. Exactly, man. But no, it was, (laughs) it was good. But look, after all that was said and done, then everybody went, eh, now we got to go back to reality without sports. Yeah. But but ESPN has been solving that for us, right? And I, I had said I wasn't going to – I was going to wait till the end. And I want to watch the whole thing through, but I just couldn't. There was too much – I was seeing too many little, like, video clips of The Last Dance that were, like, 30 seconds long. And I'm like, I need more of that. I want to hear the rest of it. And yeah. so I went and I watched the first two episodes right before episodes three and four. Uh, I don't know how you feel. Episode three about Rodman, episode four mainly about Phil. I love the Rodman episode. Oh, I yeah. think it gave us Rodman's some Rodman's the- just a, I mean, he's a, he's a freak. Uh, he's, he's a funny character. Uh, he doesn't give a shit about what anybody else thinks. No, you know, he, he doesn't his, care. He is his own person. Um, yeah, he obviously has some, some, uh, some stability issues as far as mental things goes. Uh, but man, I thought like this story, cause I, I had honestly forgot about this. You know, I, I was a big bulls fan growing up. I talked about that last week. Right. right. So all, that's why I'm like, so invested in this thing. It's just like seeing the behind the scenes stuff and kind of hearing these stories so many years later, it, it's really, really cool. But I had forgotten that Rodman requested this vacation, right? Like Mid season <laughs> needed a vacation Goes to goes to Phil Jackson with it. It is like, hey, I need a vacation. And Michael Jordan stepped right in and was like, you know what? If you give this guy a vacation, we ain't gonna see him. <laughs> we're not gonna see him. We're not getting this guy back. But Phil, being the great player coach that he is, and and the person that he is, knows that with Dennis Rodman and his mental space, right? He you have to that. approach him the right way, right? You can't just shoot him down and piss him off because that's not going to bode well for you and your team, right? No. You got to give him a little bit of lead on that lead, right? So he said, you got 48 hours. Go to your thing for 48 hours. And Michael said as soon as he left, he went straight to the tr- the the the, uh, the plane and went out to Vegas. And Jordan told Phil right then and there, you're not seeing that guy in 48 hours. Good luck with that. No, it, had, it, it, took, it took Michael Jordan going yeah. out to Vegas – Knocking on the door a week later to get him out. The best part about that story, we talked about it. You know what? We can put this Dennis Rodman picture up here. It it explains Dennis Rodman. It's probably one of the best pictures of him I've ever seen. But the best picture I ever saw on my television was what I saw when they were talking about that night and who they were interviewing. Because they were interviewing Carmen Electra. And at 48 years old, to your point, she is still fire. Even my wife was like, she looks good. Many a fantasies back in the day of uh, Carmen Electra, and I still see why. I haven't seen Carmen Electra in probably a decade. By back in the and day, you mean you mean yesterday? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Those fantasies that were ended. Uh, Carmen Electra is gorgeous, and even ten years later, at forty-eight years old, still a bombshell. But yeah, man, just to see him out there in Vegas. I mean, sun up to sundown. This dude's partying. He's drinking. I'm sure doing drugs. He's doing all this stuff, right? So you would think, just like any other human being. He would come back, which, like you said, Jordan had to go out there, physically drag this dude out of bed, and bring him back. 
<laughs> that he would go through this like detox phase and his body would Withdrawal, break down yeah. and all this stuff. So they bring they bring him into practice that next day. And Phil Jackson wants to be hard on Rodman because, you know, he took advantage of the rule that he gave him the 48 hour window. And Jordan's like, listen, he's here. Like, you're lucky he's here. He's here. <laughs> but then Dennis Rodman starts running laps around everybody. Right. Well, like it didn't even phase him. And this, I was going to say the story that they were telling was they were doing this this run where it was the guy at the back had to run and catch up to the guy at the front. Right. And Jordan openly said, I went to every guy on the team and said, don't you effing run. <laughs> like you, you do a slow walk. Right. And, he, and then he said it came Dennis's and turn. And just laughed <laughs> everybody. And they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> they're like, yeah, they, catch they thought he'd speed up and then slow down. No, he kept going. Right. So they're like, oh, crap. Like, even Steve Kerr was like, I can't do uh, this. It was great, man. But, it, it, to go out to Vegas, to party like that, to drink like that, to do all those things, and then come back and play in the NBA and not even miss a beat just oh. speaks to how different Dennis Rodman is as a human being. I, I love the quote. Uh, I forget who it was that said it now that I'm thinking about it, and I can't even think of who said it. But one of the greatest quotes about Rodman in that documentary was it was somebody talking about Rodman and, you know, you you need to get him to do this, you need to get him to do that. And the quote was, I think it was one of the assistant coaches, he goes, you don't put a saddle on a Mustang. No, you, you that, let, was, that was a great you quote. Let That's him very be. true. That's very true. And that's what happened, like, out in San Antonio, when he left Detroit and he went out to San Antonio, San Antonio tried to round him in and it didn't work out. They there. tried to and, put the Spurs in him, pun intended. Right, right. And they they had a plan in Chicago as to how they were going to work him, and it got them three more championships. Man, it was uh, it was a great decision on them. Yeah. Dennis Robbins still to this day one of the best rebounders, one of the best defensive players I've ever seen. He had I want to say three games or more in his career, zero points, but had over had 17 boards or more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, zero I think, points, but, I mean, that just goes to show, like, his mindset was never offensive. His mindset was get the ball, get it to my guys, let Pippen, let Jordan, let Kerr, let these guys do their thing. Uh, and then when you need me to step up, when Pippen wants to take a seat and 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 go off the sideline and bitch about his contract, I'll step up, I'll do my thing. And man, he was a great piece to those championships. Yeah, sure. it definitely, definitely was interesting. And then, you know, talking about talking about that and kind of going into episode four was them getting into Phil, right? And going back and looking at Phil's history and Phil's past, and then bringing him in, and he shows up the first day as an assistant coach in not the attire that they wanted an assistant coach in at the time. Very, you know, happy-go-lucky '60s product, you know, that yeah. type of thing. And that's exactly what he was. But it wound up working out. I thought it was great. Like, you, you've heard some of the stories about Phil Jackson, but to see the video of them all doing yoga on the <laughs> yeah. court. Like, and it was, Michael was even doing yoga. It wasn't like it was like, hey, guys, who wants to do yoga? It was, hey, we're all doing yoga. We all need to, to be together. We need to work. That's why that team won the way that they did, because they had everybody could play as an individual but when it came down to it, they were a team. You talked about some of the stuff where uh, Jordan was kicking out some of the shots to some of these guys, and they're just making them. St right. The shot that Steve Kerr made, um, 
I can't forget the other one. Uh, begins with a P. Paxton. The shot that yeah. they, they when he had to come out of the game, Paxton well, makes that, a shot, gets him into the that playoffs. That was the big transition. You know, they went from the early years when they weren't winning championships, where Jordan was doing basically everything. They bring, you know, they won a couple of championships. They bring in, they bring in Phil Jackson, and Phil Jackson brings in this whole, you know, triangle offense and this whole thing where it's really designed to move the ball around to open guys. It's not about just getting Jordan the ball. It's about getting your teammates involved. Jordan was very hesitant at first to buy into that system, but ultimately did. And it became this, like you said, this great team atmosphere. It wasn't about any one individual. It was about playing together as a unit. They did everything and and they had great leadership starting with Patrick, you know, with with Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson. <laughs> Not Patrick and Ewing. Michael Jordan. Both of those guys were great leaders, um, you know, and very selflessly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was great. I'm excited for episodes five and six next week. Uh, I think this just brings some insight into everything that we grew up on. Uh, you know, yeah. we grew up watching these guys and, 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 you know, everybody, if you, if you haven't done the, you know, you haven't done the Jordan, you know, you're trying to do a layup cause I, w- I wasn't going to be able to dunk, but if you haven't stuck your tongue out while you're trying to do a shot, you, you didn't live in the nineties. Simple as that. Um, but the other thing I, I kind of want to move down in, in the lineup here on the rundown, we can't go without talking about this. The saints, and Taysom Hill agreed to a contract the other day. Mm-hmm. Two years, $21 million, with $16 million guaranteed and the ability to get a million-dollar bonus in performance incentives. Did they overpay Taysom Hill here? No. No? No. I mean, okay. when you're looking at it, an average quarterback, starting quarterback in the NFL makes over $20 million a year right now. The average quarterback... Right, I remember when Joe Flacco signed his what twenty-five million dollar a year deal, the highest-paid quarterback in the league, and all that stuff. These guys are making in the upper twenties now, low thirties. The to get a backup quarterback who potentially, I mean, because the Saints are really high on this guy, who could potentially be a replacement for Sean Payton down the road if they go that way. You get him for an average of ten, ten and a half million dollars a year, eight million of that a year guaranteed. I don't think this is a bad deal for them at all. He he affects that team in so many different ways. Dual threat, quarterback, tight end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've lined him up tight end, fullback, H-back. Uh, you know, they've lined him as a wideout. Obviously, he has the quarterback ability. He has the return ability. Like, again, to be able to keep that versatility and to keep that kind of uniqueness about your team – well worth it in today's day and age as far as money goes for sure definitely an interesting contract to watch out on uh the other thing uh speaking of espn that we talked about a little bit ago uh espn is actually there i still didn't hear today if they actually got the deal done uh but they're trying to get sports on for people uh and so one of the things they actually are trying to work out is the contract deal to broadcast kbo games korean baseball organization games bring it on i'll take it right yeah (laughs) Like it's at this point, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take whatever I can get as far as sports, live sports. I'd like to see it. We we are at Ocho Cinco this point. At this point, I'll I'll take whatever type of sport, and I'll put yeah. sport in quotes and use it loosely that you want to give me. I'll watch because I'm tired of watching the same stuff over and over yeah, and over again. To a to a point. I mean, like they tried to do that whole horse tournament bullshit, and that was terrible. <laughs> I watched ten minutes of that; it was awful. So there's limitations to what I watch. But if you want to bring baseball, and the only thing we've got right now is the KBO that's playing, and you want to bring that here, 
I'll find a team to root for and I'll watch it because what else we got to watch? I'm tired of watching Netflix. I'm tired of watching Hulu. I'm tired of watching movies and shows. I need my sports. I'll, I'll I find I'll find where you weigh in is at and I'll root for them because that's yeah, where weigh in right. Chen's at. So former Oriole. Uh, exactly. The last thing I got to bring up the rundown uh, is the news that came out yesterday which is there is now a class action lawsuit filed against all 30 Major League Baseball teams for not refunding tickets during the pandemic. And there is still most teams do not have a plan in place for to recoup to refund or credit any funds for any games up until the start of the season, if there's a season. But right. my question to you with this, like, do you think this this lawsuit's going to wind up going through? Could this could this really hurt the MLB here? Uh, I mean, they're already it, hurting it for money a, as it is. It might be a pinch on the arm. I mean, they're going to get hit with some, you know, uh with these cases and they're going to lose some money for it, but I think it's stupid for them to have not been reactionary and just tried to give everybody their money back at least for now until there is a definitive plan and then let those people make the decision from there whether they want to rebuy opening tickets or whatever the case may be. I do think that it's stupid. Um, I don't think this is going to affect Major League Baseball all that much. I think at some point, once they have a plan for either if there's going to be fans in the stands, I cannot possibly see that happening, but if there's going to be fans in the stands, I think at some point, they will either refund those people their money or put the money towards uh, whatever this new season would be uh, or give you the option one way or the other. Something will happen happen of it, uh, but I don't think it's that big of a deal for them right now. <laughs> we'll see once they decide to make a decision. Right. Minutes warning. All right. All right, Scott. It's time for the two minute warning. We haven't done one of these in a couple weeks now, I feel like. Last week, we didn't. We definitely, we definitely didn't, do, didn't do one last week. <laughs> <laughs> They've been a little modified during this during this time of year because we try to work some in the rundown, which right. would probably normally make its way into two minute warnings. So, all right. Yeah. So, what do we got? All right. So, Keeping on the theme of the MLB, and it's actually something that you and I both kind of alluded to, right? Yep. With it now being May 1st, we got no answer on MLB schedule, season, whatever the hell's going to happen, right? There were even talks of, oh, we're going to start in May. Well, obviously that ain't going to (laughs) happen. My straight out flat question to you, two-part question, I'm going to give you a minute to to respond and then I'll respond. Okay. Will there be an MLB season? And if so, what does it look like? Go. I do think that there will be a Major League Baseball season. However, I do not think it will be played in front of fans at all. Logistically, I just don't see that being possible this year. Uh, There's too much money on the table. We saw with this NFL draft how many people tuned in to watch an NFL draft. People need something to root for. People need something to be positive in their lives. And so many sports fans out there, we're talking billions of sports fans out there, would love to see Major League Baseball. Logistically is obviously going to be the challenge. I think what they'll do is they'll limit 
how many stadiums they'll actually be able to teams will be able to play in. Uh, there will be all kinds of procedures and cautions that they're going to take prior to each game before a game starts to make sure that everything is kosher. You'll see some new rules go into place to keep people properly distanced from each other as far as umpires and things like that goes and coaches and people sitting on the bench. But I do think that there will be some sort of Major League Baseball. I think there has to be Major League Baseball has got to figure out something with this. You know, to your point, if it's if you, you do it in two or three stadiums, you do a few game a few games a day. It's got to be a shortened season at this point. Period. There's no question about that in my mind. It has to be a shortened season. There's no other way to do it. But the other thing you got to do is, you know, to your point, you have to have these things in place. You're gonna have to spray down everything. You know that you're gonna have to spray down the dugout. You're gonna spray spray down the locker room. You know, and it's gonna be awkward. Yeah, it's gonna be awkward as hell. It's it, no no doubt about that. It, you're gonna have to figure out how to do this, and you're gonna have to make it work. But I do foresee that one thing that you're going to have to get back to normal at some point. And I think it's because there's still going to be question marks potentially around the NFL and things like that. The MLB could piggyback off the ability to get fans back in via the playoffs. And I think that's where you can start. Get the fans back in at playoff time. Let us get through this. Hopefully maybe there's a vaccine and we can get through it. But that's where I think you can actually start to bring fans back in potentially if there's a season. Uh... And I'm going to really quick just piggyback off of that because I think you bring up a good point. I do think that they're going to put it in a couple of states that there's the least amount of traffic as far as travel traffic goes, right? Some of the warmer states where if it is a virus that can be killed off by, you know, by heat and that kind of thing that lowers the percentage of it, they'll take all that stuff into consideration. You won't see anything. You definitely won't see baseball in New York. You definitely won't see baseball in Baltimore. You definitely won't see baseball in, in Boston, any of these northern states. But you may see it in, you know, some of the, the, the southern states like Texas. You might see it in Arizona. You might see it in places where there's not a ton of air traffic coming in and coming out. And again, somewhere where it can keep the risk down especially with the heat killing it. I would also say because you don't want to have rain outs at this point or anything, you've already canceled enough games. Also look for them to do it in domes, right? In places, uh, very well. places that, that you can close up and, and be able to do it. Houston, I think, is one of those places uh, that you're going to be able to look to do that. So we shall Too see. much money to be had, man. The MLB, at the end of the day, is a business. Unless the government says, no, you cannot go. If the government gives it the green light, Major League Baseball will absolutely figure out a way. All right. All right, Scott, sign us off. All right, we want to appreciate all of you guys. We want to appreciate all of you guys. We want to say thank you to all of you guys for tuning in. We had quite a few of you guys commenting in this week. We had a ton of you guys watching. I know I looked during the rundown segment. We had like 35 people, 36 people watching. We appreciate that. Make sure you guys go check out the website, www.birdlandbs.com. You can learn about each of us. Get your gear. You can go check out the Shell and Tell podcast. I know Ryan is out there watching, chiming in. You can also better check late his, than ever, Ryan. Right, exactly. He already he skipped the Terps. He, he didn't even miss it this you week. Jerk. How do you forget? It's Tuesday night. <laughs> exactly. Big play, big play Twitter page, big play app. We're all over those. Birdlandsports.com. Go check them out there. Follow us on all of our social media sites, whether it's YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. If you just search at Birdland BS, you'll be able to find us on all those. Make sure you also check out Fred at Fred BLBS, at Scott BLBS, at bartender underscore Blake. No BLBS. I got it right this time, Brian. Leave me alone. If you want your opinion or topic heard on the show, hashtag that's BLBS. As always, be sure to check out the audio version of Spot of the audio version of the podcast on Spotify. That's all, folks. I sound like Steve Smith. Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. 
you name it, we're there. You guys know the time. You guys know the place. Every week, 745. Come see us. For Fred, Brian, who's been controlling the chat room. Appreciate it, buddy. And myself. We'll see you guys next week. See ya.